Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Patrick and Rob. Uh, this is Matt. First time, long time. I just wanted to call because, uh, well... I, so I, I've grown up a Ravens fan, really enjoyed hearing you guys talk about the Ravens. Um, but I got I got real hyped yesterday morning listening to you talk about the Bears, planning out what the season was going to look like. I got so hyped, in fact, that I uh, I placed $10 on the Bears-Packers game uh, and planned the rest of my night around walking to the sports bar so I could watch the game. Got real excited with that early uh, with that early touchdown. And then uh, I think slowly realized what it was like uh, to be a Bears fan. Uh, walked home, listened to the rest of the podcast, and cracked myself up hearing you guys talk about, man, I sure hope we didn't have someone listening to this on Sunday morning on their Soto speaker getting hyped up for the Bears because that is exactly what happened to me. So uh, I'm excited to be here for the ride this year uh, as a uh, adopting the Bears as my team. Um, but yeah, just wanted to say I'm, I'm really enjoying the show so far. My dad's always been a big football guy and I haven't, uh, so it's, I've, I've always looked for my end into it, uh, just as another way that we could kind of have something to talk about. Uh, thanks for kind of bridging that sports and video games divide, uh, ready to have my soul crush the rest of the season. Bye. <laughs> I just want to say we didn't we picked that as a loss. <laughs> but we got people hyped. We got a you know, it's uh, it's like I uh, mentioned at some point during the podcast uh about the around the NFL podcast where they adopted a team and it's fun to adopt a team that's not your team and that's shout out to We're going to make people adopt the Bears. Yes. Uh hey everyone, welcome back to Waypoint's new sports and sports adjacent podcast. It sets out to disprove the notion that everyone uh, but people live dedicated to pixels jumping across the screen can't also be unhealthily interested in what nerds condescendingly called sports ball every Super Bowl. Uh, the response to the first episode was so thrilling and exciting that we just decided, fuck it, let's come back as soon as possible. So as you already heard, joining me every episode is my buddy, Rob Zachney. Rob, I'm going to start off every episode with the same question. Are the Bears back? <laughs> well, Patrick, <laughs> I would say on the evidence of a Sunday night's game against the Packers, they never left. Patrick. I was going to say what they've if, if, always been here. If you scratch at what that question is saying, I mean, and that doesn't necessarily imply that they're good. It just means they're back. And if anything, they tr- they tr- they truly returned. They, on they Sunday this is the night. day they truly came back. They awoke from hibernation, and promptly ate shit. Uh, yeah, so to, you know, recap week one, Bears highly unfavored against the San Francisco 49ers. RIP to Trey Lance's uh, ankle. That's, that sucks. Like, a real bummer that, you know, uh, that guy trying to, you know, get his, mm, I was going to say footing, uh, with the 49ers, uh, and now he's out for the for, for the season. That's a, a bummer. I wanted to see what that team looked like. But Bears Bears come out uh, on top there in a, in, a, in a game that was more or less a swamp. Um, in Soldier Field, just definitely backing up Chicago's argument that the Bears should stay in that stadium and not move to the suburbs. Uh, week two, heavily unfavored against the Green Bay Packers, but 
The Packers looked like total shit against the Vikings the week before. And the Bears defense looked like not good, but feisty. Like if Fields had a breakout game, you know, maybe there's a chance. We still mark that down as an L in our prediction. And uh, the problem was, I think in my heart of hearts, I knew we would lose. But what I was hoping for was like a fun loss. And instead, Rob, this is a game that I went to see at a friend's uh, and we left at halftime because it was a late game and the kids need to go to bed. And I just didn't turn on the rest of the game. (laughs) Yeah, it's. um, So you you really need to appreciate. I saw a lot of people having this reaction on Twitter, like I've been watching this game my entire life. This exact game this exact arc. Yes, because the Bears. Yeah, as we established when we were talking last week, like this is their great rival. But in my lifetime, this has not been much of a rivalry. And in the Aaron Rodgers era in particular, where he took over his quarterback, he as as he reminded the Bears fans last year owned the Bears uh, in that matchup every year since. I think this is now seven meetings in a row where the uh, Bears have lost. And what's so what's so crushing about this is I do think this game means so much to Bear fans. And also a lot of times there is just that little spark of hope that like, you know, if you can show something against the Packers, Maybe you can adjust your expectations upwards. Maybe oh, like right. yes. maybe you've, you've been selling this team short. And that whole morning, I was like, I knew, I knew what was probably waiting for us in the evening. But the whole day, I had this feeling of like, but it's fun right now to believe that like, mm-hmm. hey, tonight might be a really special. Why not tonight. us? And then it started out as a really special and memorable night. Like, yes, yes the first drive, the Packers torched the Bears defense. That didn't look good. Uh, but held them to three points. Yeah. And then the Packer, the Bears get the ball and mwah, picture perfect drive. Uh, just beautiful selection of plays. Everything seems to work. They just march down there. It's mostly it. running, it's but then Justin Fields runs it, you know, uses his athleticism, gets around the corner, like just, yeah. just puts that ball in. You're like, OK, we can. T- you know what? Maybe this can be a, 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 you know, a night where, yes. How many times have uh, has Aaron Rodgers thrown a dagger? with 45 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. And then, you know, Mason Crosby, that's the other kicker comes out and, uh, you know, kicks in three points that puts us in the L common, uh, a column, but I take that. I'd be like, yes, look, we should, we, 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 it's like we walked up to the bully and yeah, they pushed us back down. We like left a, we left a bruise. You're mortal. Like you're mortal. We made a mark on you. And like, the problem is this is every year. Like maybe this, well, I don't know the last two years I've, to resign myself to, to 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 irrelevance, but there is something about, and I'm sure this is true of a lot of people that listen to this podcast, like whether it's in football or elsewhere, when rivalries exist for historical reasons, but then become manufactured rivalries because of it's that like history. It's a tradition. It's, it's just a tra- tradition. It's just a thing you do. Uh, it's not something that has any. Act, there's no factual evidence for it being what it is anymore. Um, you know, there's no more evident than, you know, they th- essentially the Bears only being in primetime when they play the Packers. And it's just a cool can't wait to sit down and just be watch the announcers have nothing to say for two plus hours because the game is over by halftime. Uh, that doesn't make it makes it makes accepting even when the teams are mediocre or a year like this where it's rebuilding. You're trying to have modest expectations. You're just looking for glimmers. But it's also like, why do we have to put me? Don't put me under the spotlight. 
I didn't ask for yeah. this. I, I yeah. didn't. I didn't want this. Put me in the 12 p.m. block. Thank you. Yeah, it. Uh, it's it's brutal. Like that that little that little bit of hope, and then the Packers immediately are like, if you're going to win this game, it's going to because you're going to have to like meet us in a track meet because your defense can't stop us. So it's going to be, can your offense at least keep it a game? And if there's one thing you've been hoping to see from the Bears, it's that there would be an offense that could at least limp along behind the pa- a team like the Packers, but like keep it somewhat interesting. And that first half after that first drive from the Bears was a complete smashing. Like nothing worked. Uh, the team looked embarrassingly bad. And the Bears defense was getting run over. Um, and even when like... Here is one thing I will say. The the thing I was reminded, Rodgers did not have an amazing game, but one of the things about football is if the opposing quarterback is accurate enough, like what constitutes good coverage changes. Like mm-hmm. it just it like if the quarterback is good enough, then you have to cover even closer because it turns out, you know, some guys they need to have like a foot of space in every direction to 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 really like find the target. That's their that's their window. And then there's dudes who it's like, I can put it on your hands. Just like get them out, uh, you know, in clear air and I'll put it in your hands. And that is what Rogers can do. And there are a few plays where where that happened. Um, but yeah, the, the first half was crushing. I walked away. I sort of gave up. Second half. And here's the thing I will say, Patrick. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about before the show. There's some things that take some real hard in about these bears from that from that beat down. I look, uh, I believe uh, Justin Fields threw for 11 passes. He is now granted the first game was a monsoon game where they could not. Nobody could throw the ball, could hold on to the ball. I saw a stat today that was Justin Fields throwing attempts in the past two games are combined for a historic low that goes back to the 1950s in terms of a start. So that's that's not that's not a source of hope uh, that. Yes, that is that is alarming. We'll talk about the growing alarm around Justin Fields. But uh, I will say the like, running game looks great. Like the, the defense is they didn't uh, collapse at no point did the Bears completely collapse. Uh, but also, but also Ryan, Ryan Poles getting into a staring contest with the linebacker Roquan Smith over a hundred million dollar contract and saying, no, thank you, is looking a little bit better all the time because. I love Roquan. He has been an, an incredible bright spot uh, for the past couple of years, but he is, whether it's taken out, you know, not really participating in training camp or adjusting to a new scheme, I don't know. He's not looked that great. But, you know, Jaquan Brisker, Kyler Gordon, some of their, some of their new guys, uh, new draft uh, kids look, uh, look pretty strong. Well, I, I also do think, like, I think Smith has a bit of a tough job in that I feel like he's ended up almost playing safety at the linebacker position where it's like, I have to be the guy who contains. Uh, and so I think he does not like, he doesn't come up and make the play for the big stop. They, I mean, they've shifted uh, Like they're running a different defense. He is yeah. uh boy. I think this is the right term. Like the Mike linebacker is the, the technical term for what he is playing, which is different than what he was doing before. He also doesn't call the plays for the defense anymore um i think that's yeah. the case um so i mean there, there's reasons that things would be yeah. a little bit a little bit different especially when you're facing a, a really grueling but opponent like the packers like they were they were able to get at rogers a few times and make his night tougher than i expected like the fact that they were able to mount a drive later in the game uh and there's a 
you know, if that drive works out, the weird thing is had the Bears scored a touchdown after this drive where they just pounded mm-hmm. the ball again and again, like it's 1948, uh, they would have been within seven of the Packers. We should we quarter. should explain a weird quirk of how I, I how NFL officiating works. So what Rob is referring to is there is a play that occurs in the third quarter where uh, they they do get down the field. Uh, uh, they are at the goal line right in front of uh, being able to score a touchdown. And uh, they run a play where Justin Fields tries to like run through uh, like a gap that the, uh, that the offensive line makes for him. And he pretty clearly in the broadcasts, you could make a very credible argument that he, what they call broke the plane, which is that you just, the ball has just got to get the, over the tip of the white <laughs> marker over there. And that's a touchdown. But, they tend to err on the side of what the original call was unless they have what they call clear and convincing evidence. And there is plenty of evidence to uphold a touchdown call. Had they called touchdown on the field, then they'd be able to say, well, look, like, is there not really clear evidence it's not a touchdown? But they didn't call it a touchdown, and there's not clear evidence that it is a touchdown, which is just a very bizarre circumstance to end up in where everyone agrees that's a touchdown. But, you know, there's not like we can't get out there. We have all the technology in the world, but we in, in 90 different camera angles. But we can't mess. We can't know if a, if a ball made it across a white line. That's where well, we and are. Think, and I think this is one of the things that, like, makes football so uniquely American. It is constructed around the fact that there are basically rules cops out on the field who get shit wrong all the time. Yes. And you're not even allowed to question them. But now grudgingly, grudgingly, do we have the technology to, like, make better decisions and, like, make calls correctly? We do. Slows the game down too much. What's more important is that just someone makes a ruling, any ruling, and the game moves on. But begrudgingly, you can risk one of your precious timeouts and challenge uh, what you think is a bad call. But if it Some turns calls, out that the... Not every yeah. call. Like, that's the other weird thing about football is that you would think... Look, there's a built-in punishment. You will lose a t- you will lose a timeout. You only get two challenges per game, once per half, uh, and that's it. That's the built-in. So, like, look, you want to use it on something fucking frivolous that doesn't impact the game. Like, boy, howdy, like, go about it. But the like the NFL and all their infinite wisdom just says there are certain plays that are unreviewable. Like, for example, one of those is pass interference. You uh, you cannot dispute is it is it can you dispute a passive no you can't dispute passive interference at all or is it the lack of passive interference that you can't like if, if, yeah, if, if it wasn't if, if it wasn't called you can't dispute it but i'm right. also not sure you can even dispute it if it was called i think that might be right i think that might be right anyway there was of course there's the the famous like saints play from like two right. three years ago yes. uh where like it, it is decisive that they did not get in the super bowl because like uh there was a pass where there was like blatant pass interference and, right. So, the, so in the yeah. NFL, if you're unfamiliar, like when a guy can connect with another player when the ball is in the air is when the ball essentially connects with their hands. And the moment there is any contact from the receiver, that player can, you know, you, they can interfere ahead of time. They can essentially be like jumping all over them, like, you know, uh, like trying to block it. But like in terms of like actually doing like a football tackle. That can occur that only can occur once the the player is beginning to control the ball or take control of the ball. And what happens in this Saints game is just like the receiver just gets fucking bonk, just like 
his ass kicked well before the ball shows up. And it's so obvious. Everyone involved is going, wow, we fucked up. And also, it has to be made clear. This happens at the end of that game. It's a critical, like, if this play doesn't occur or is called how it should have been, a different team goes to the Super Bowl, most likely. And instead, it's a play that was unreviewable. I think that's also the thing. It's not even that the, there are, this is also a weird thing about the NFL. There are times when you can, the the referees can review something that the coach, or they can, they can just say like, hey, we're going to review that. This was something the refs couldn't review themselves, and you couldn't throw a challenge flag on. So everyone just had to accept that a horrible, like, season-altering, Super Bowl-altering mistake had occurred. But them's the rules. <laughs> like, like that's, right. we just got to live And again, like, it's just, it, it, like, it is totally in keeping in just the baseline, like, low-key authoritarianism of American life in a lot of ways, <laughs> yes. where it's like, well, it doesn't matter that the cops got it wrong. It's that we respected the cops and the cops were allowed to do their job badly, but it is more important uh, that they be unimpeded in their work. And that's kind of how the NFL works, too, where it's like, you know, it you can't challenge them very often. We'll only let you dispute this once uh-huh. in a while. Um, you know, I think it's a similar thing exists in baseball where like. A huge part of that game is different umpires have different strike zones and. Sometimes even pitch to pitch, they have different strike oh, zones. So that okay, in terms so of what they will call, and if you that, complain, they will throw you out of the game. That you know, it, that is an interesting about where like this play we're talking about with Justin Fields, where yes, it does it seem like it very much went into to the to to the end zone. Yes, but like to be fair, it is not clear and convincing. Like there's this whole scrum, there's all these players that are like in the midst. Like part of what's appealing and interesting about football is that it's like a cluster of enormous athletes. Just, you know, glomming into each other, especially when it's down near yeah. the end zone. This is where the game, this is where football and rugby most resemble each other is in the right. goal line situations. But what's incredible about baseball is in those one-on-one matchups between a pitcher and a batter, we, the science exists and is deployed to see a box that tells you with hyper-specificity what is a strike and what is a ball. And yet, baseball, although I think this is going away, they're transitioning to robots in the next couple of seasons. It's going to start down in the, the minors, and it's going to filter up to to, to the majors uh, in, like, the next couple of years. But the, part of, like, the wildness is that there will be clear time, like, the ball is thrown. The rate, like, you know, the technology tracks it, and it says, that's a strike. And the ump says, no, it's a ball. Even though we have obvious evidence that they are wrong it cannot be like it's just there's this is something that's uh, they always call this what's the term like the the human element right which is that as we're able to track more things with technology at one point are we just systematizing sports to the point that you're taking out like it like we said the human element um and i think there is something there is merit to the argument of allowing things to be wrong because people are human and things can be wrong. But like the baseball one always cracks me off. Cause it's like, I love man, fuck off. Like if it's, it's either a ball or a strike, don't give that much power. That's too much power to an individual. But I do like the notion that there are like human refs and they're like fallible and can make mistakes. Like that is part of the, my enjoyment of sports is even though it frequently goes against me, uh, 
the fact that some of those things can happen and cause debate. Yeah, and I think um, I think something that can be easy to conflate is I, I think um, there is such a thing as a game becoming like too solved, right? Or they're mm-hmm. being too, like just too ob- like this is another thing baseball is going through right now, which is that like through a combination of like statistical analysis and like uh, better game planning, they have for the past few years taken the offensive out of the game in a lot of ways uh, because there's just things you can optimize for that profoundly change the game and make it profoundly hard to uh, put runners on base and score points. It's a boomer. It's a boom. It's going to turn into a boomer bust sport in which you have home runs or strikeouts. Yeah. What they call like the three true outcomes. Right. Yeah. Um, But the, so there's like, I think there's reticence when you see like technology coming in and, like overly optimizing a game and optimizing some of the fun and the friction out of mm-hmm. it that it turns out like is like it turns out the game is more fun when there's some inherently inefficient play as part of it. Uh, that's what baseball is trying to get back. Yeah, I don't think the variable strike zone based on <laughs> uh, what wildly differing umpires will call or just how they're feeling at that moment. Uh, I I don't think that is enhancing the game. Uh, and so they're they're in the process of getting rid of it, but for, for a long time, long after this technology existed to solve for this problem, uh, I, I, I do think a huge part of it is just baseball teaches you, hey, the umpire's correct. You can't mm-hmm. argue with that. Mm-hmm. You just you just have to accept his shitty call. And by the way, if you turn around and argue with him, that's even worse. Boy, how could you question that umpire? Uh, and now that guy gets to throw you out of the game. Well, and uh, there's or, no, no, uh, oh, go ahead. Or, or if you're if you're if your boss, your manager comes out to like be like, this is bullshit. He'll get tossed out of the game because uh, <laughs> well, yeah. what is important <laughs> to teach is like this guy above sort of reproach. That is my maybe one of my favorite uh, favorite baseball traditions is the coach deliberately getting themselves thrown out of a game that is like frequently Absolutely. out of hand. But they're just doing Absolutely. it to, sh- to be like to show leadership in front of their players, which is it's just like you go out there, you get in the ump's face and they you're out of here. And like, and there's times it is it is just pure ritual. You will see is. the umpire and the and the manager have what appears to be a completely civil conversation. And then the manager will say one last thing, like make a big gesture. And the umpire like tells him you're off, you're done. And it is like the forms have been observed. This was protested to the maximum force it could be. And how can you argue? He's being ejected. Uh, and then there's this has been the last two seasons in particular in baseball, but where now the ump uh, has the added power to uh, be suspicious of like what's going on with the players in terms of the substances they might have hidden on their body, like the different... Yeah oil stuff the sticky stuff and so you'll get these like hilarious screen captures you'll see the next day after a a football game we're like why why is the umpire like rubbing this dude's head like over in the corner and it's like because suddenly they became suspicious over now granted like this is an actual thing players were doing and i don't know that i don't have the, the the specifics in front of me over but like i know there has been a bit in the last couple of years in which there was an actual substance there's a long history right. of using a substance on your fingers to increase your ability to grip and throw the ball. And then so, and then arbitrarily it seems like they like well the well technically this isn't cheating, but now you've gotten too good at it. 
So now it's cheating. So we got to come up with a line which that's the cheating is. Well, and this and the and the funny thing is, I think this is this was them attempting to get ahead of this issue, but attacking it from the wrong angle, which was they start focusing on what is ha- allowing all these pitchers to have this incredible command over pitches with a high spin rate. Yeah. And the answer was this, the stuff they're putting on their hands. So like, let's try to deal with that. And what it turns out, like probably more significant than that is the issue is the, just that teams had huge, uh, like pools of pitchers. They were drawing from bullpens and had really skimped on having other positional players. Cause it was more valuable to have a cavalcade of pitchers who could throw like incredible pitches and just not many of them. And that probably more than the sticky stuff was why there were so many unhittable pitchers uh, in, in the league. And that is another thing they, they rolled out this year. And I think you're going to get more aggressive about it. I think they're, they're even lowering the allotment of pitchers past like after this year um, that they're in the process of, of sort of trying to turn baseball back into a game where it's like the pitcher has to be the hero out there on the mound for an extended portion of the game. It can't just be, you know, you can literally just like trivially pull this guy out because you like the matchup on the next pitcher with a guy who's going to come in and throw three pitches. And now he's gone, which is kind of where baseball ended up. Uh, I I have a question. So I was, well, I was watching this game, uh, the bears Packers game at like a gathering. It was fairly small, you know, uh, like seven, eight kids. And then, you know, a roughly equal, uh, number of parents and uh, because it was a bunch of kids parents were kind of in and out dealing with what child was yelling at who and who was being unfair but I, I'm specifically struck from our conversation in the first episode about the fact that so much of you watching football was this communal affair and so I'm curious given the long history of Bears games going poorly do you have any specific memories of like the dynamics that occur as a as a game goes awry, as as a game goes off the rails, is no longer entertaining to watch and has become a miserable slog. Is there like anything interesting, interesting that jogs from your memory about those times? Well, the weird thing is, uh, <clears throat> so <laughs> for a long time, uh, my family had a little ritual like bear lunches, uh, <laughs> like lots of fun little <laughs> snack foods and stuff. And the bears were playing at noon and it did not occur to me for years that good teams don't play at noon and I'm, I'm like didn't occur to me for years that like the noon time slot uh central time is kind of where like this is of regional interest and then the better teams will be saved for later later games which is which is uh, unique and then- about the nfl in general um compared to other sports leagues is is all the games most 90 percent of the games are played on the same day between like you know, there's a huge amount of games at noon. Then there's a handful of games at uh, in the afternoon and then one game at night. And then they've added, you know, a Thursday game and a Monday game. But it is a unique sport in which I think part of the excitement out of it is the fact that so much occurs all at once as a shotgun. It, it, it you know, it ends up dominating your attention because so much is happening uh, at once. But I, I'm with you. I did not understand it too much later. Well, the reason we get to watch it in the morning and the reason the parents are drinking at noon uh, is because they they can't they <laughs> team's bad team's, team's bad. bad nobody wants to see this <laughs> nobody the NFL decided uh, everyone in America is going to hate this uh, so the yeah so so what what would go on there is 
like frequently and, th- and honestly this Packers game uh, that we just saw was kind of a microcosm. One of the things that teams can do to deceive you in the course of a game is like they can start strong and it could be because like their team that doesn't actually like have a lot of depth. And so when everyone is fresh and rested, maybe they are playing a little bit lights out in a way that they cannot match that intensity for long. More frequently, it is just that they can have like scripts of like opening moves that they will run that they're pretty confident in the plays will unfold really well uh and once they like work from that script you you'd have something again but like the bears first possession in this packers game things can start out really well and my sort of like the 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 perfect representative taste of like what this is like is we'd be sitting there with our little bear lunch and like oh bears are off to a good start love love it like you know <laughs> offense is looking good after one possession the bear the the defense like uh, you know, hey, they gave a bunch of yards, but like there was a sack that was really exciting and they held him into a field goal. We're we're in this. And then comes just the stall out where it's like it doesn't even necessarily have to be blowout. It's just you're kind of just sitting there watching this team misfire again and again and again. And then halftime happens. And it gets worse because really my my experience with the Bears is uh in that little halftime break where teams can do a little bit more game planning and sort of like taking the lessons they took from what they saw in the first half, uh, really well-coached teams and really well-trained teams can adjust and adapt at halftime and come out with sort of an adapted game plan that's more fitting the circumstances. For most of my lifetime, the Bears have not been able to do that, either because of a def- deficiency of talent where like once the weaknesses get exposed – uh, they will coll- they they will just like get carved up, or what is more often my suspicion, they're not very well coached, and there simply is not a lot of creativity or fresh thinking uh, in that locker room. And so, yeah. For, but but the weird thing is, my family would just kind of grimly endure <laughs> like the slog where it was like one. A lot of times the games would stay close enough yeah. that you're like, well, there could be a rally, and I'd be pissed if I missed the rally. Sure. And the other the other thing was there's kind of part of you that loved that kind of loved hating this team a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know that pleasure you get of like, well, I bet this bad thing's gonna happen. And the bad thing happens, and it is bad, and you wish it hadn't happened, but there's well, I mean, a little this is, this part is- of you that's like, yeah. It did happen. I was right. There was, you know, um, but once I had turned on the Bears' uh, previous uh, GM Ryan Pace and coach Matt Nagy, I, I, I had flipped to rooting against the team um, for for the long term health of the team. This is see, this is where you become sicko mode with any sports team, and I'm sure people will be able to write in about this. The moment that you can name the general manager and the coach, and also the ownership. And like the family members of the ownership that, you know, had control. Like when I can say, you know, uh, you know, that George McCaskey, one of the sons of the McCaskey family is the one that heads up the Bears. And also then I can tell you that their head of business, uh, Ted Phillips, I think he needs to get out of there, too. Like, that's bad. You shouldn't know this much about your team. Like once you have achieved that, there is there is a meta layer of fandom. And this is more or less exclusive to teams that are perennially bad is that once you've cycled in endless managers, coaches, players, you don't know how else to explain why you can't have it too. 
then to start pointing the finger at a layer above. Like you're going through layers of crust of the earth and uh, the next layer up is, well, I guess it's ownership. And who's the family in that ownership? And once you're paying attention to the family dynamics of like, well, Virginia McCaskey's 99 years old and like maybe they might sell the team. Like that's bad. You've achieved a level of interest in what's going on. Well, you, you, Or rather, you've achieved a level of disinterest in what's happening on the field that you are then having to play Game of Thrones with yourself in terms of what is happening above to explain how it could get better. We do have to acknowledge that a part of the weird psychodrama of Bears fandom is that the NFL is basically co-founded by George S. Hallis. Yeah. He's sort of a charter founder of the NFL. And his daughter, Virginia McCaskey, uh, and McCa- like, what is it? Ed McCaskey was like one of his assistants. I think so. Uh, like, Mar- like, marries into the family, and Virginia inherits the team. And so the McCaskey family has run the team well it hasn't been passed down through the generations it was passed down through the generation yeah and she's just very old um but bears fans have always like on the one hand it's like ah uh, there's such history the bears the bears root origins go back to the the founding of the nfl uh on the other hand there's the sense that the bears have always been tied to an incredibly cheap family mm-hmm. and i mean this there's goes rich to- there's rich and then there's rich and the Bears, the McCaskies, are the former. They are not – they are rich because they own an expensive franchise. It's – it's you have an asset that yeah. when sold would make you a lot of money. But let yep. me tell you, I know people who have serviced Virginia McCaskey's house. She lives in the, the – the, if they build a stadium, which sadly she will probably not uh, live live to see uh, given that she, that she is 99 – um, she would be closer to that stadium. She lives in Displains. Um, yeah, that'll make that'll make sense to <laughs> Northwest uh, suburb <laughs> Chicago sickos. Uh, and I've had friends that work for the gas company, and they went to her house, and you're like, if you didn't look at the call sheet and said you're here to service, you know, you know, V McCaskey to like, go check the meter in the back. I mean, it's just a house. Yeah. It's just a house. Well, like these are not these are people who don't want for anything. I'm not trying to present them as like stewards of the middle class, but there is go um, look at pictures so of actually, Jerry here's Jones. A connection, here's a connection to F1, right? The Ricketts. Yeah. So the Ricketts by the Cubs. I don't know how many years ago, right? Like, but in, yeah. in like recent history, um, they are true evil people. Like, like full Trumpers. Like. One of them's involved in Minnesota politics, but also they're involved in F1 Ferrari, correct? Am I right now? Or what am I? Mm-hmm. Oh God, I I had missed that there was this connection. Uh did I pull that out of my ass or am I right I th- there? I think they're I think they're connected to what is it? The are they connected to the Miami Grand Prix? Is that it? Are they like promoters? But I don't know that I saw a Ricketts family connection to F1. Okay, maybe I got that. Oh, you know what? Didn't they try to buy a soccer league? soccer team it, it does appear that they've tried to buy into a lot of things where's their money okay. from ah uh, the rickets oh man i don't know probably terrible places um but i mean like you know again like th- that that family is rich rich they are tr- truly astronomically impossible to well, conceive and rich and and the, the bears the bears are well cheap but also they can't spend it 
Because they don't have it. Because you'd have to right. sell the team the Mc- to have yes. it. The McCaskies would be richer if they sold the team. Right now yes. they have an asset that is worth a tremendous amount of money. And they can't realize the value of that. Because uh, in terms of its operating costs and its like profit per year, it is not like that degree. of. It's a little uh, bit like, like what's like happened to me in the last couple of years. Which is like, I was informed by the city uh, that I live in. Like, hey, your property tax is about to go up. Because during COVID. Boy, property values have gone through the roof. Uh, we're, you're going to have to pay more in taxes. But, but Rob, have I been have I been paid more in those two years? My house just artificially went up because of an estimate, and now I got to pay more in taxes. My house is worth more. I've seen the estimate. Good for me. I'm not selling the fucking house. <laughs> Man, some I, I do appreciate this. I'm not sure. Like we got that notice too. Uh, but I think we might get out of this okay because we're in a condo, mm. um, and it has not been appraised uh, since the, the the bubble started to really swell that mm-hmm, much. Mm-hmm, so we mm-hmm. might we might be okay. But yeah, so the the McCaskies, um, but they've always been notorious that even even with the money they had, they didn't like to spend it, and certainly not on players. No. And there's a famous story that like Jim McMahon, who was the uh, iconic quarterback of that 1985 team that we we are all haunted by. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't celebrate it anymore. I'm just shut the fuck up. I'm so right. tired of that 85 team. Right, but uh, he told like he said years ago that he had this like eye opening exchange with one of the uh, like McCaskey sons, where he was trying to tell him like this, that, and the other that was going wrong with the team, and you know this this, this guy was basically like. You don't get it. Uh, look around this. The stadium is packed. The stadium is packed. And we're not a very good team. It's going to be packed whether we're a good team or not. Why would we spend more money on like what you're talking about? It's not going to make us more money. Uh, and so we're just going to hold on to it. And that was sort of McMahon sort of said for years. He's like, like Chicago's never going to win another championship as long as that family is in charge because that's fundamentally the ethos. Like the team has to be like if the seats ever start emptying uh, and mm-hmm. the fandom really starts to turn, then that's a crisis. Anything short of that, and it's a ferociously loyal fan base, uh, the Bears can can bear it. You know, that's that's basically how it all how it all works. And so I think this is the other part of why we end up like engaging in the psychodrama of analyzing the Caskies is we're all kind of hoping like, well, maybe one of the princes will, will be a good steward of the <laughs> em- empire. Uh, maybe, maybe the Dauphin when he takes over, uh, will, will restore the kingdom. Uh, and there's very little evidence. I think mean, very, uh, very demoralizing that, um, you know, right now the, uh, what George McCaskey, um, you know, he gave a press conference last year. Is like, I'm just, I'm just the team's number one fan. I don't really even run I'm not this a football thing. guy. You're the football guy. <laughs> and it's like, well, then great, but then you shouldn't, like, you shouldn't be running it in any sense. Then hire a football guy. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so this is this is all part of the the Bears fan. Is you just kind of watch for confirmation of like, yeah, this team sucks. I knew it sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, you kind of like. I go through this too. I can't walk away until it gets to a certain degree of bad. And it did for a few years there. And then 2018 happened and I came all the way back in. And now I just watch and I'm sitting here, fingers crossed that despite the evidence so far, there's just a, a well of untapped potential with our franchise quarterback, Justin Fields, that we didn't already ruin him. 
uh, but that he could still he could still really pop. Like you know, this is there's still there's still hope for that. But boy, uh, the fact that they don't even let him pass hardly at all, and when he does, it does not look good. Makes me wonder what they are, what they saw in practices, and what they what they have gleaned about his game. Well, yeah, I mean, like the yeah, there was the narrative in the offseason that they didn't get anything around him, they didn't they didn't invest in the offense, and I think there is depending on how this year goes, if you granted two games, one game that might as well be thrown out, although he performed better in the game that you should throw out, which is, which is unfortunate. Uh, there, you know, the the new management might be going with the expectation of, look, you're not our guy. Like, prove that we should invest in you. And if if you are one of, you know, a top 10 quarterback, you'll be able to show it with trash talent around you. You'll show enough flashes and, uh, you know, him missing a wide open receiver for a 78 yard touchdown when the guy is waving his hands in the air. That's not that's not the fault of less talent. That's because you didn't you didn't see it. You know, when you when you cross the line of scrimmage by like five yards and toss the ball trying to get a first down, that's not anyone else's fault but your own. So those are like the tiny little. We just try you try and push it down, like suppress it. Like, really, we just got out of the Mitch Trubisky experience. And then Justin Fields seemed like, if not the savior, at least you get to put off being depressed for, you know, another couple of years. And and instead, we may be it might be here. It might be here already. Like, we got a few more games before, like, it turns into a. Well, now we're rooting for him to suck because maybe or be just enough that that he's worth dealing. That somebody yes. else get, like that. There's still enough like possible value there that you can be like, I don't know. You want to try it, and somebody Ugh. will. Ugh. Um. All right. I want to bring in some. We got, we got some really tremendous voicemails. People, yeah. People called in to the to the voicemail line, which is um. I've got it right here. Two two four seven zero seven one five six one. All right. Uh, Rob, make sure you've highlighted. The yep. screen so you can hear um, this first one comes in. Well, this is the one that we kept using as a test. And so I'm just going to play this one again. This is from Thomas. Hey, this is Thomas from Atlanta. I'm an Atlanta fan and all I know is pain. Horrible soul crushing pain. Please send help. I don't think it's coming because we actually sent Ryan Pace our XGM to uh, I'll play for you. If you're, if you're in this point rooting for the Falcons and uh, the Atlanta seems to just keep uh, bringing in X bears players, although their offenses looked kind of fun the last two weeks. So you scored points. We haven't. Uh, One of the funniest things about, again, like this stuff has not all like done through logic and ran is, is some franchises just like to do business with each other mm-hmm. and they will, trade players way more frequently than they will trade with other franchises yes. uh which is pretty indicative of like your scouting operation is not like weighing all options there is a no. sort of path dependency on like we know these people we like them as a counterparty and deal it's very smooth like for years uh and often usually because there's some personnel crossover like this is how when ron rivera went down to carolina uh for for ages like those two franchises would like swap players and bears players would turn up in carolina mm-hmm. and uh do better that's where um not lance briggs who who ended their career well there. tillman i thought uh, i thought peanut was on that i thought peanut was who on that team there was a linebacker i can't uh i don't know who i'm 
blanking on. Um, all right. Anyway, this one, this uh, this next one, this one's very good. This uh, this comes in from Derek, uh, who is a uh, St. Louis Cardinals fan. Hi, Rob and Patrick. This is Derek calling in for the sports podcast. Um, I just had a moment come back to me of a crushing loss. Um, so I'm a St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. Um, so, you know, I've been fortunate over the years to see us deliver a lot of crushing losses to other teams. Um, if you're a Texas Rangers fan, uh, sorry about that. Uh, but the one that happened to us happened in 2004. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing them go to the World Series that year by beating Roger Clemens, who at the time was one of the greatest pitchers of all time uh, and a surefire Hall of Famer. That didn't work out so well. Um, but we ended up facing the Boston Red Sox that year, and the Red Sox were three outs away from being swept in the ALCS against the Yankees. They came back to win four straight games to make it to the World Series and then went on to subsequently crush my Cardinals in the World Series. But that wasn't even the worst part. The worst part was not being swept four games in a row to lose the World Series. The worst part was that the Farrelly brothers, Jimmy Fallon, Drew Barrymore, and a film crew were there to shoot an alternate ending to the 2005 romantic comedy Fever Pitch. Uh, they originally wrote that movie expecting the Red Sox to lose the World Series, uh, they did not, and so Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon got to go out on the field and make out at Bush Stadium in front of all the Cardinal fans, which really just added insult to injury and was something that I really needed to get off my chest. Uh, thank you guys for doing this. It's been a lot of fun so far, and I hope that this podcast continues to do well. <laughs> that is incredible. I cannot imagine... Just watching your team get filleted. Yes. And then here comes the cast and crew of the shitty little rom-com. To go out there and have the romantic celebratory moment on the field. And you're just props. You're all props for this. Oh, my God. I've never seen Fever Pitch. But, um, maybe it's great. Maybe, maybe it's, it's great. Maybe yeah, I'm sure I, Jimmy my, Fallon's acting career was. <laughs> yeah, I mean he was the he was the bedrock of so many great sketches. Uh, yeah, I can I can only imagine how good how good that was. Uh yeah, it's. Uh, I I'm sure there are probably other examples of when sports games are used like as part of filming where they're trying to get something that feels real. Uh, and so oh, sort of, well, like, we, they have to sort of crash onto a set in, in a way that is like extremely awkward and, and weird. Yeah. You know, over on Chef Chef One, uh, like there's a couple movies that famously did this. Uh, so two, two kind of approaches. Uh, John Frankenheimer made this movie about F1 racing in like 19 in the 1960s, early 70s. And what he did was there's like a slightly less less prestigious and less powerful tier of car. But he basically ran full races with these like uh knock off f1 cars and film that but the more ambitious slash cheap slash desperate attempt that i saw was uh steve mcqueen made a movie called uh lama after the 24 hours of lama and they just tried to shoot this entire movie out of like they just shot the race they shot the actual race as it was happening and then tried to assemble a narrative out of shots of this race what? oh yeah you're making a face it works about as badly as you would expect. Like <laughs> it's 
Uh, I think I think Drew Scanlon said like it's a movie made entirely out of B roll, and that is one hundred percent what it feels like. Wow. Is the running B roll, and then uh, a fake announcer is like putting it all in the context of this this fictional story they've got going on uh, to to try to make it resonate. It, it completely fails. Uh, but but yeah, in terms of like games that stuff that stuff has been handled that way, um, I, I think I think it's tough. Because, like, for instance, football is a hard game to film. Yeah. Uh, especially because, like, you know, you can't you can't expose actors. To that level I was just, well, how do you how do you fake it? Right. Like, yeah. it's extremely di- it's it's a violent game by nature. Film is not a one shot and you got it. You're trying to get all these different. So, you know, it's not something even though there are all, all sorts of famous football movies i think capturing the game part of it is frequently like the least important element of of those game of those films because it's just extremely difficult to actually showcase what occurs well yeah i mean like we saw you know when we talked about draft day the other year uh that's like you know what's really exciting is the boardroom (laughs) the office the the people the people who really make football great the executives uh and the, the the other option is, um, you know, Troy Goodfell and I for three MA. We watched um, any given Sunday, and Troy made the observation that Oliver Stone basically, and I think this is a really smart move. Oliver Stone basically realized, well, football is basically combat, and mm-hmm. so he just made Platoon, but with a football. Ooh, and that's what that's what he did for any given Sunday, and he just leaned into the fact that like it's disorienting, it's terrifying, and it's hyper violent, and so it doesn't matter if it's necessarily legible. Uh, because if you were just out there, it would not feel legible. It would feel like, and we've heard people talk about this, right? Like if you were on a football field, it would be scary. Yeah. Like it is like semis running at you on a freeway <laughs> is how big and fast some of these dudes are. And Oliver Stone kind of leans into it that way. But crucially also, that is a movie that he had no official endorsement for the NFL to make, mm. which is why it can get so real about what football was like yeah, that, if you that want to use a, logos if you want to use any sort of official teams then you can't have a major subplot about <laughs> team doctors hitting guys with horse tranquilizer and cortisol shots in between plays and getting them back out there you can't do that oliver stone was like but this is that's basically what football was in the 70s mm-hmm. and it was and so he's like i want to like i'm going to do the platoon style expose of like this 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 dark but amazing game uh the nfl's never going to let me make that movie no or the opposite is uh you make it a character drama like a friday night lights which is like hey actually yeah the, the football is just a pretext for small town obsessed with football because that's just what they do that is their entire lives center around the high school football team and so there are football shots in that show and i i adore a lot of that show um even with the lack the the lack of football because that's not what you're there for but that like as soon as it cuts to a football game it's like well the sooner we can get out of this the better that's not what i'm (laughs) that's not what i'm here to watch and it's not shot very well either the uh i guess what the interesting counterpoint to all this is uh I think Kevin Costner did a great interview with this with like Bill Simmons, I think, mm-hmm. talking about For the Love of the Game, where for people who don't know, For the Love of the Game is a baseball drama about an all time great pitcher literally pitching his final game and sort of but not but he's not sure it's his final game when it starts. It's him sort of at a crossroads in his life 
uh, at like playing a game that is meaningless at the end of another lost season uh, at the tail end of a, of a dying career that was once great, but is now declined. And so the whole thing takes a plot, takes place across this one game and then is told through flashbacks as, as Kevin Costner is out there thinking about uh, his his time uh, in the sport, thinking about the past. Uh, by the way, the late Vince Scully has a great like all time like fake announcing uh, thing that he's doing in this. He gets the speech that ties together the entire like third act. Uh, but here, like to do this, Costner basically had to pitch way more because, you know, movies, there's a lot of takes. Mm-hmm. And so Costner had to pitch way more than they ever let pitchers <laughs> like do. And he's apparently like pretty good at baseball. He's been in enough baseball movies at this point in his career. He probably has like some decent like minor league chops or something. But I, I mean, I feel but like I'm putting it on my ass like something to give people a rough estimate. Of, like if a pitcher is pitching really well, you top out at what, like. 60 100. 70 80 pitches 100 like at, at the yeah, most and well, then nowadays, also yes and then also i guess yeah these days in like everything's so statistically it, driven and, and and analyzed that you're only hitting 70 80 pitches uh yeah. r- you know roughly um and and also crucially you're getting breaks like you don't you don't pitch the next day <laughs> right and so like in this interview with uh bill simmons like costner talks about he had real like mlb pitching coaches uh to help him do this and you know it's kind of genius right because the thing is like in the movie it's about a pitcher realizing midway through he's pitching a perfect game that which never happens Mm -hmm. and so he has to like dig deep as he's like down to just the worn nubbin of of his life to like try to close out this game and, and and achieve this achieve this feat and like Costner's kind of going through that in the movie <laughs> and he, he told Bill Simmons like you know when it came time to do that last to day of shooting when it came time to do that last day of shooting he went to some of the pitching coaches and was like okay now I need the now I need the dark arts basically he's like I need you to di- give me whatever you would give a player if it was an absolute like must win situation and it did not matter uh, what came back uh, in any investigation after the game? Like, what is the there is no tomorrow win now cocktail you will give me? So I guess they drunk the shit out of him. And he goes out there and does the end of this movie, basically just like flying on painkillers, topical, topical, like anti-inflammatories, sticky shit all over his hand. Just like everything, every rule being broken, every sort of like stuff you hear about, like right before the steroid era went busto. uh, He's completely like all the way in on it. Uh and so that's like that's the other way this can go is sometimes it gets extremely real as you have actors like really commit to I'm going to inhabit this character. The uh, the story that reminds me of is this is completely off topic, but um, Ryan Davis, uh, when I worked in the Giant Bomb, he went to somebody's bachelor party in Las Vegas and one night they got just completely annihilated. Everyone wakes up and there's. You know, they're there for like three days, you know, like kind of the max you can do if you're actually going to be going out in Vegas. And they overdid it the first night. Like just nobody is ready to do anything the second day. Like everyone slept in. <laughs> You've only got three. Yeah. Pe- people are people are, are doing coffee, trying to 
drink, you know, a beer, like something to get the engine going. Um, they brought with a friend who was a nurse and mm-hmm. that nurse goes, Hey, I actually brought the full rig baby and hooks everybody up with what they call it, sa- uh, saline. Is that what you like? Yeah. Uh, and uh, the way Ryan described it was like someone turning a dial on your body where you sit down in the grips of death uh, where like puking's not even going to help, but you're just, you're just done. This is just like the, the day is yeah. shot. Like you're gone. You're just, you're just trying to get to tomorrow. Uh, and it was like, he could feel like the party coming back alive in his body. He was like, Oh, actually let's get out to that cabana. It's time to get drunk again. And like, by just pumping your body right into your veins, full of moisture, all of a sudden, it just disappeared. Um, and just the <laughs> the ability for modern medicine in the right situations to do things you can't imagine well, exists. The crazy thing is this is old as hell, right? Like they're in the IV bag is, is mm-hmm. old as hell. But like it's only recently become popularized uh, where people do it for this exact reason to like party harder. But what is a godsend about that is uh, MK gets horrible migraines like routinely. Um, used to, I, and, I got like, them when I was a, a, a like preteen, like ho- yeah. like uh, my parents thought I had a brain tumor for yep. a couple of years um, before they had a conversation with my grandmother. She was like, oh, actually, I used to have crippling migraines at that age. I think migraines can be hereditary. Um, and yeah. like it was to the point where I, I I mean, I just sat in darkness with like a cold cloth yep. over my head. Um and we've we've I, had those days like that. Uh, and also, like, I would say once every couple of years, we would end up in the emergency room because, like, uh, migraine got so bad that it was like we cannot continue to just, like, try and, like, you know, uh, you know, gr- grit and bear it. I found the cold. But, I, this is like a biz- completely bizarre. I have no medical explanation for it. But when nothing else would work, uh if it was winter, I would find relief in like literally just going out and walking in the cold. I don't know what it was doing to my body, but no, I, I, I would mean, get like, uh, MK has uh, two ice helmets uh, that are like you have to be they're really carefully sized uh, because they just fully wrap up your your head like you know maybe that's a, what was a, happening like i would just like i would just go out like yeah, chills you not out. wearing yeah. a jacket like just like i'm gonna go walk in 20 degree weather but, for 15 minutes and come back. <laughs> More valuable than that is uh, the there are people who have businesses that are born off by like people who like, hey, like, you know, we need to have a, an absolute like epic rager. Would you come and work our party uh, as <laughs> oh a nurse God. to run the saline bag? And that's like that's where these these guys like probably make a lot of their bank. But that also yeah. means there are these viable businesses where when it gets bad enough before it gets bad, before it like really like tips over into we got a real problem here. There's like a guy that we call that like comes over, runs the IV bag, and usually it heads it off um, and sometimes stops it in its tracks where wow. it is like, uh, yeah, because that 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 painkiller cocktail. And the other big thing is, you know, and this is partly what's what's an issue with hangovers is um, you're wildly dehydrated, but also your body is so fucked up that you can barely keep water down. Yep. Like and you can't, you can't you do the thing you need to do to fix things. And your body certainly can't absorb it fast enough no. to like drive this pain away. But like through the through the miracle of the saline bag, uh yeah, it is just like here comes here comes the dial. God. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, all right, so this next one from James is really interesting because I think it's on the a complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, in terms of where where we are surrounded by pain, as is Thomas in Atlanta. Uh, James is surrounded by what I would qualify as uh, too much winning and has some interesting observations. Hey, sports partners. This is uh, James Rochester. Uh, I'm just calling in about uh, the sports teams I grew up um, in right outside of Boston. So I uh, have uh, spent a while with the slow-crushing Giles Corley disappointment of just how the constant winning has shaped the way that people act and the way that they just uh, treat themselves and, like, their own, like, feelings of being excellent. Uh, For me, it's like going through towns like Medford and Malden and just seeing people do the worst things under the guise of, like, being underdogs that finally won despite it being their step. <laughs> or, like, what Rob has not been, like, our various teams just winning all the time for a while. And it just, like, was the slow crushing, more weight, more weight, more weight of, <laughs> wow, we're excellent and we're underdogs and we deserve this as just, like, justification <laughs> to be complete a-holes and just, uh, and also a fair bit of uh, personal Exceptionalism turning into like casual racism. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, my uh, crushing defeat was the slow, just uh, loss of ability to identify with sports in and around uh, New England, just due to how um, badly people took winning. <laughs> anyway, this is why people hate us. <laughs> Okay, yes, this is one of the worst things about being around Patriots fandom during these years. Uh-huh. It's been a dynasty. The, like, hands down, will be the first bout, like, greatest coach who ever lived. Absolutely. Almost certainly the greatest quarterback who ever lived. Absolutely. Had them both simultaneously. And also, we don't get enough respect. No one thinks yes. we can do it. Oh, they're always out to get us. They're always accusing us of bending the rules. We're going to prove all the doubters wrong and win another Super Bowl. And of course you are. Of course you are. Because you have everything going in your favor. No one no one doubts you. Everyone is <laughs> sick of you. It's it's that your suit. What makes you so hateable is that your superpower is resentment. This is also why people like for a long time couldn't warm up to Tom Brady because it's like handsome, successful, uh, you know, championship winning quarterback. Deeply unlikable. <laughs> and then but then also was always pulling out this like, oh, man, like. We're going to we're going to prove everyone wrong. Here we go. Like people said, you know, I couldn't. No days off. No days off. And you have to. And yes. And then, of course, the entire cult 
the entire cult around the Patriot way Mm -hmm. and the whole like they play football the right way. Uh, And a lot of times that did feel like the white way. Uh, (laughs) And like the fact that like, yeah, their whole culture was we take all the the personality and character and flash out of football and we stamp it out there. There's no one more important than the team. Everyone's anonymous here. Uh, God, what a loathsome franchise. Great team, though. Mm hmm. Uh, but I think it's interesting, like to have someone that has been around that for as long as wait. So when 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 you moved to Boston, where does that fit within the era of the Patriots? Where are they at at that point? Uh, so I would say at no point since I have been out here have they been as dominant like. What's that? Remember that what, like, was the, what was the fourteen and one season? That was two thousand. Yeah. So this is this is after that. Okay. So two thousand seven. Yeah. I think that was. I want to say that's around then. Uh, and so like at no point are they ever like just running away with the league in that. It's perennially sense. good. It's like the Packers. Perennially, like, good. they're just always yeah. winning. They're always knocking on the door. Yeah, and 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 so like that that that's kind of how all that unfolded is that. The team was the team was always great. They 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 won. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jesus, they 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 won three Super Bowls while I while I was out here. Uh, but yeah, they they didn't have that sense that they had around like uh, you know after after two thousand four, where it feels like this is a team that is going to be unbeatable for years to come. Uh, like with that year where they were basically they were undefeated until the Super Bowl, right? Like that they that they had gone on uh, like an unprecedented tear, I think stretching into the previous season. Mm-hmm. And then they get beaten by Eli Manning and the Giants <laughs> in just the, and in retrospect, I do kind of, I, it actually does kind of, annoy, this is really revealing about football. People did love watching that team face plant and not win yes. the Super Bowl that year. Yes. But at the same time, unquestionably the greatest football team of like this era. Oh, absolutely. Like, colossal achievement. And it is just that football can be fluky and the team they absolutely should have beat, they just couldn't. Well, it's just so interesting because you know, we come to this from the lens of Chicago sports, and so I can't speak to the outsider perspective on the Bulls from that era. Also, I was a child, and so I don't have a very good perspective of what it was like in that era because I was, you know, 10, but, uh, you know, you look at the reverence, even if you just look at, it's like a weird data point, but there were two extensive documentaries made about both of these eras of exceptional athletes and teams. Um, you know, the, the Bulls documentary, uh, the last dance comes out granted in like they rushed finishing those episodes so it could come out like as people were fucking bored as shit in lockdown during the early parts of, of, of uh, COVID in 2020. But the reverence for that team is like resonates to this day that would, you know, like people still want to hear stories about that team and that, you know, decade long run that they had. And, you know, granted, like in, in this case, that, that that was mostly a Michael Jordan documentary, even though it was a documentary about the, you know, ostensibly the Bulls. And then was it the the man in the arena or the arena like whatever yeah. that Brady documentary the man is? In the arena. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know anyone that watched that because for some reason 
with the Bulls, there's a there's a fandom around the team, their personalities, their achievements. With the Patriots, there's a begrudging respect for how well, good they are, but not necessarily a fandom and like a culture of like how interesting this team is. Gronk, no. Gronk, like accept it, I suppose. But uh, I don't know. What, what do you what do you make of that? No, I, I think it's completely. So I think there's a couple things. The Bulls were the good kind of fun. Like <laughs> Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and then whoever they had around them, always just an exceptional team to watch, like dynamic, explosive. Yeah. And the fact that like when they went off and this is kind of the thing that basketball is going for it. When someone goes off, it kind of ha- can't help but be cool. There is no like unglamorous way to just go on like a 20. Oh, I mean, like run. the modern version of this like, is if you didn't watch the, you know, the, the 90s Bulls or have no reverence for them. If, if you at least look up highlight clips of Steph Curry, he does this thing when he just like crushes all, not just a three, but a three that is like feet behind the three point mark. It's a four point shot. And he turns around and just sort of like, I don't know, is this kind of lackadaisical like, yeah, like, um, guess that happened. And he's not being arrogant in a shitty way. He's being he's having fun with it. And there's just something yeah. about. Like he's the closest thing I can think of to that type of personality that has that sort of fun exuberance. It's an arrogance, but but like, damn, you're so good that I can't, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. can't be mad. Like you deserve it all, man. You deserve it all. Whereas the Patriots, I do think uh, a lot of times, I sort of alluded to this, a lot of times their winning is not necessarily fun yeah. uh, to watch. A lot of what, like, I think about that year they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. That was the 10-3 That's Super cert- Bowl. Um, with uh, Goff as their quarterback, and the yeah, yeah. the Rams scored and, and three cer- fucking points, and that's and and that certainly it was felt a clinic. Like- it was a clinic. It was it was it was one of those. I think it was being characterized as the game was going on. Well, tape hounds are just gonna love this game because this is football. This is a defensive game. Don't you love to see it? <laughs> it's like, like no, nobody watches the Super Bowl. Just putting cut in their mouth yeah. by halftime. Because it's just not fun. It's just not fun to see. And, like, I love defensive football, too. But there is nothing fun about, like, watching. So here's the thing. I did. I never felt like the rate that that first Ravens Super Bowl team. I never felt like they were boring. Are you kidding? Their defense was murderous. Like, it was incredible watching. You were excited to see them come out because they would just, like, do amazing football to the offense that was out there. All hell would break loose. It was great. Belichick is really cerebral, and it is like we had seen how much fun the Rams could be that year. Remember that wild shootout game they had with Kansas City? Yeah, the, 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 it was considered like, the future is, of football. This is this is where things exactly. are going. This is what football is going to be. And there are some people like I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I like it because I don't know. I don't know if I want combined scores of ninety six points yes. per game. I don't know if that sounds that that feels a little imbalanced. I get where that comes from, but I will tell you that game was a blast yes. to watch. That Super Bowl, it was just like every single it, it was it was like almost like in a fighting game where someone just keeps getting like stun locked or something where it's just like they can't they can't ever get back on their feet. They can never like they start to make a move and they just get interrupted and then they just get combo to death and it's over. And that's how that Super Bowl felt. And like it just was so deflating to watch. And that's how a lot of Patriots dominance feels like uh, like that. 
what you are saying is not amazing football because they don't need to play amazing football. They, they just grind. They, I mean, they always say the way, the way like Belichick's uh, approach is always like he's going to take away your favorite toy. The thing you want to do, you're not going to be able to do it. And if you think about that as like a uh, like a small child being cruel to a bug, it's like, well, they removed the bug's arms. They were successful. Does anyone want to watch what happens to that bug when the arms are removed? Not really. Yeah. Like that's a lot of what. Like it's like a snake. Yeah, that's how Patriots football is often felt. It's it's yeah. like you'll you'll watch and it's like you go, oh my god, the thing they've been doing all year, crushing teams, they can't do it anymore. They don't have a plan B. And yes, on paper, you have a lot of respect for that. Is that enter? Is that an entertaining product to watch? <laughs> not 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 really. No, no. And then and then yes, in the Boston area, you have to live with the people being like they always said we couldn't do it, <laughs> but. We showed them. There is something about that that I like if you were to get so used to being in the same way they talk about athletes having to come up with, uh, you know, new uh, not grudges, but um, slights, you know, perceived slights. Um, Jordan, the the last dance was exceptional at showing like, what is this new thing that Michael Jordan (laughs) did? And I took offense to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's where that meme comes from, because. He just has to, when you were that exceptional, have had experienced that much success, you have to invent reasons to do it all over again. And so I'm not trying to excuse the casual racism of the, uh, you know, average uh, uh, a Patriots fan. But there is something about what happens to a the, the complete opposite of us, which is when you root for a team that is perennially a failure and that the times when they are good not only seem like a mirage – but actually, you kind of wish they didn't happen because it just gives you a taste of something that's not real. Uh, and then when you just go back to the, the depths of despair that you're used to, it's like, well, yeah, that was fun in the moment. But I'd rather I just never had a taste of Nirvana. I'd just rather just be hanging out here where, yeah. I'm, where I've always gotten yeah. used to. But when you when you enter into a world where it's the exact opposite, where you have sky high expectations, what does that mean when a new season starts where it's like, well, Gonna go twelve and four again. How do I get? <laughs> how do I get hype for this? Yep. You know, game against the Jets. Uh, I don't know. You got. You have to invent the slight, even as a fandom. Yeah, and well, that's exactly it too. Like the Jets is really the yeah, like. There's so many. There's so many times you turn on football in Boston. It's like here's what you can watch. Here's your here's your world class team going up against the Jets. They do this twice a year. And for a long time, the Bills were not much better. No. And frankly, neither was Miami. So that is six games a year where you're watching your world-class team go up against teams that barely function as NFL franchises. And you have to find ways to be like, this feels good. I like this. Ugh. Um, all right, this next one comes in from Elena. Um, uh, this one is about, well, it makes sense, sports capitalism. Hey, Patrick and Rob, this is Elena, long-time listener, first-time caller, and please send my condolences after that Sunday. <laughs> when I was a child, after having been introduced to several different sports my, by my father, I ended up deciding that hockey was my one true love. There was just one small problem. We lived in the suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. For non-U.S. listeners, this is a city in the deep southeast that gets snow maybe once a year. And specific to hockey, has failed to hold on to not one, not two, 
but three NHL franchises. I was almost like, don't you have a team? Guess not. Without <laughs> getting ahead of myself. The Atlanta Thrashers were a new team, a new lease. We couldn't go often as it was a long drive into the city. But going to a game was always a highlight for me. However, the team was garbage. It became a running joke between my father and I that this would be the one, i.e. the first win we were present for. Over maybe two dozen games across a decade, they won probably five times while I was there. It became a lesson in making the best out of poor circumstances and chances. The team, arena, and fans that filled maybe half the stadium all had good times despite the marade issues. Finally, about eight years into my fandom, it happened. The Thrashers made the playoffs for what would be the only time in their 12-year run. Maybe this is the time they do okay, but no. They got swept. Four games lost to zero wins. After my high school graduation, I ended up going to college in a school in downtown Atlanta. At long last, I'd be close enough to get a cheap season ticket and go whenever I wanted. However, as the season closed, it was announced that the Thrashers would be getting sold and relocated to Winnipeg, Canada, a city about uh, the fifth the size of Atlanta. Just one final disappointment to cap off the childhood full of watching even the faintest hopes get snatched away at the last moment. Thanks for the pause, and hopefully the rest of your season goes well. See ya. I, I, this is something we've never had experience, probably never will experience because of the singular nature of Chicago and Chicago sports. But I, I, the notion of a team you've adopted, inherited, been passed on generationally, whatever the case may be, leaving because of it could be an arena dispute. It could be a a family sells a stake in the team, whatever you know, whatever might happen, uh, like if the Chicago Bears suddenly became the, I don't know, the Indianapolis Bears, like, do I, I mean, follow as, that? As Mayor Daly once said, that if they leave Chicago, I don't know what they'll call themselves, but they can't call themselves Chicago Bears. Maybe <laughs> they can be the Munster Monsters. Because <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, I've like gone through that thought, thought experiment before. Is like, is... Am I so emotionally and personally tied up with something that specific that I would I would give it up or not be able well, to follow it or be or in other words, be free okay. well, from here's that a question? Here's a question. Uh huh. Browns fans. Right. Well, yes. This is the, the team this, ripped out of their hands. Yes. But then the team got really, really good. Well, the Browns are the, the Ravens, was, right? Basically. Yes. Yes. And immediately, immediately. I think like it might have been the first year they'd moved, won the Super Bowl. <laughs> and. My question is like, because there are a lot of people being like, I hope the owner, Art Modell, dies. <laughs> Except it wasn't, it wasn't, I hope he dies. They didn't say, I hope he dies. They used some active verb about ways that that condition could be achieved. Uh, but so the question is like, you love the players on this team, its identity, et cetera, the team moves. I feel like in that moment now, especially with the benefit of hindsight, transfer your allegiance, transfer your allegiance. You're free. And just like, I love these players. And now they're the the Ravens, but they're still my guys. And you got an awesome franchise that you're like, cool. That's awesome. Or maybe you're just free. Maybe you're just free. Yeah. Uh, but, but there's your chance. Cause a few years later, they resurrect the zombie Browns <laughs> uh, who are still the zombie Browns. 
like a team without actual history uh, that uh, of anything good. Um, and like, so now they've become kind of exactly what a Cleveland sports franchise is supposed to be, yes. which is an embarrassment. And this is before you before you factor in the fact they are also now a disgrace. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, we have not. Uh, uh, I would you know, I would endeavor to ask people to write in, send in voicemails if you are specifically a, a Cleveland Browns fan, because there was something there is something uniquely awful and distasteful about what occurred with the Browns and Deshaun Watson that is different than the team moving because of capitalist economic XYZ, right? Like there is something fundamentally unique about what I am sure there are other examples in sports, but like there is something so I, I still think the Deshaun Watson thing is singularly egregious in the notion of and this is the specific thing that always like haunts me about this is the way that they structured his contract, knowing that he would most likely be suspended for some part of the season and the entirety of the first season that he was signed to the Browns for a otherwise guaranteed contract of 200 plus million dollars, I believe, uh, in which that first year, if suspended could only lose a million dollars of that contract. That is a team not just making a deal with the devil, but fully embracing and knowing they become, they become complicit in becoming co-captains of the hell society. Uh, You know, like they, that is, that is, that is not just taking a chance on a player that hopefully has learned their lesson. That is being complicit in like on a contractual level, acknowledging like the guilt of that player and being like, well, hopefully we'll just shuffle that past a year. Uh, and they have so much power over us that we're, we're just actually going to make sure they make, they make all that money, you know, subsequently. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Watson thing is, a <clears throat> is like in, in, incredible mess and, it, and, it, and it should not be overlooked. Like by all accounts, uh, there's certainly like, uh, detailed reports about, the fact that his previous team, the Texans, knew something was going on, uh, that he was harassing and assaulting uh, uh, massage therapists uh, that he was he was working with and and, and trying to find on Instagram. Uh, yeah, they're trying but, to get them to sign NDAs at some point. Yeah, right? and they provided the NDA. Like a legal team had like it had to <laughs> yeah, like, look like at- like when people go out to shoot on you know out in the, the streets of New York, and you know, have you ever seen like that Billy Ike well, I mean, Billy on was, the hey, street? Like basically, what happens is like had the non-traditional workplace agreement that like came under fire for similar reasons, which is like, boy, that's a really broad NDA, yeah, uh, and says like I'm I'm comfortable with whatever happens here. Uh, like, why do you have a document like that? Right. Why is it so open ended? Why do you need to create it? And that that happens with the Texans, uh, and then yeah, the the Browns sort of look at it and they see, well, he's just such a good quarterback. That yeah, they do structure a deal that even though he was facing massive sanction by the league, they just kind of hedged and said we're going to we're going to make you, uh, you know, an, an incredible offer uh, that won't even be dented by by those sanctions that are certainly coming down. Uh, and that's you know that's that's a weird and awful place to be as a Browns fan because like, say it all works out the way the Browns 
have planned he comes back and becomes mm-hmm. like the team's franchise quarterback and and makes them an offensive powerhouse and let's be clear he, i at his heights in the last you know five six or five seven years he's been in the league i mean deshaun watson is a incredible quarterback capable yeah. of unbelievable things like it is it is easy when someone like that is revealed to be such a ghoulish personal individual to then try and forget understandably like why they were important in the first place. And like, that is going to be put to the ultimate test. I mean, hope you know, hopefully it just turns out like, well, actually three years away from the game or two and a half years away from the game too rusty. can't put it together. And then the Browns get the appropriate punishment that they deserve, which is to pay a shitload of money to a quarterback. They can't get rid of offload and yeah. still have to pay for. Um, but you know, the reason, I mean, the Browns, <clears throat> they're the ones that made the deal. Uh, there were a lot of other teams that wanted to, and a lot of other teams that couldn't even get into the dance. Um, and that is yeah. because Sean Watson is a incredible player at the time that they were playing. And so what happens with him the rest of the season? I don't know. It will make, here's what I'll say. Yeah. Like just as a, uh, I am just so deathly curious to see how the announcers talk about it because they have to, I right? Th- you know, the thing is, I think they will talk around it. They they will make some there'll be some throat clearing at first, and then it will just sort of get memory hold. Yeah, uh, I mean, I feel like this happened a bit with Kobe Bryant, right? Yeah. Where it was like the assault allegations were incredibly serious. The settlement he gave involved an apology that basically he like came very close he, to saying he basically admitted yes, effectively a public confession. And when he and his daughter like unfortunately like you know killed in that in that accident, yeah, but awful. like when it came time for the eulogies, that did not get centered very often. Uh, was the fact that that was a guy who made a calculation that, uh, you know, he would be untouchable. Uh, and acted as such, um, and that was kind of borne out that when he faced consequences, able to he was able to buy his way out effectively. Um, and the gauntlet that uh, sexual assault survivors are forced to run uh, in the society would be like massively discouraging to like for the le- legal uh, remedy. And you know that's how all that played out. And I, I do think over time like people move on from these stories and to an extent what i will say is if there is no like criminal justice system that's going to actually say like this person needs to be sort of taken off the board for the while for a while like this person needs to be sent to a place to rehabilitate and 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 square away square their debt uh that is that's one thing but in a lot of cases we end up in situations where we know justice has not been served Mm mm-hmm and yet, there they are, central fact of life. What do you do? I don't know. You hope the yeah. <laughs> you hope he, you hope he sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then and then and then we we you you know it's been interesting watching you know listening to any podcast. Um, uh, you know, like Mina Kimes has brought this up a number of times, like on on her show, where it's like, I'm just not going to I mean, other than like she had on like the one of the primary New York Times reporters, like laid out the evidence for everyone. So they have a perfect understanding if they would like to what exactly uh, Watson is accused of very credibly. 
But at the same time, she goes, I'm just not going to think about it till I'm forced to. And then I will think about what it means to be a football analyst while also knowing yeah. what I believe this person did when I am forced to. And like the most convenient out possible would be a grave knee injury that he that he has early on or that he's just bad. Um, and then yeah. you can just say, well, he's not even worth talking about because, uh, yes, he's a, an awful person, but. Also, he is not worth discussing in an athletic sense. Um, unfortunately, rarely things work out that way, but uh, we can right. all we can all we can all hope. Um, I, I have to play this uh, voicemail from Flynn, which I'm I can only describe as as ouch, and it, it will all make sense very very soon. Hey, Waypoint, uh, this is Flynn uh, from South Jersey, calling in for my most disappointing loss. Uh, this one's more of like a, a personal sports story than like a being a fan. I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, I played soccer. It was pretty okay. We were playing our town rival for a big game. We had been up most of the game. It was pretty tight. We were like a relatively physical team, so we were throwing, throwing people around. And uh, on a pivotal play where... We were tied. Uh, kid makes a breakaway, and I go to chase after him. And I'm putting my heart into this. However, a, a teammate from my own team came from the other side where we collided with the opposing player, and my knee went in the wrong direction. Uh, in that moment, I ended up rupturing my ACL, and I land on the ground, and I'm, like, screaming in pain. And for whatever reason, they didn't call the play dead. And the other team still ended up with the ball and got a breakaway goal, and we lost that game. Uh, I ended up needing uh, surgery and rehab on that knee, which took, like, six months. This would have been in, like, 2011, 2010. That probably ruined soccer for me because then <laughs> – I'm pausing this to say that Rob just mouthed six months. Rob, it's incredible what the body can do when they're when you're very young. Uh, dude, no, I had I had ACL reconstruction from – Okay, we'll get, we'll get there. There's yeah. unfortunately more. After I did my rehab, I went back to try soccer again. And then my first game back – Everyone was like, oh, you're really favoring that other knee. Uh, 30 minutes into the game, nope. someone ran by me. I went to turn to chase after them. Nope. And my other knee just went like, just popped. And supposedly as I fell, I kind of blacked out for this. I yelled, not again. <laughs> and I ended up tearing the other ACL. So I don't play soccer anymore. And that loss to the opposing team was probably my most... Uh, crushing loss but if you listen to this thank you and i hope you have a good rest of your day <laughs> well no not a very unlikely now flynn uh, <laughs> the, the, it's the notion it's, that he blacks out from pain and says in the most like comical magoo voice not again <laughs> here's here's the thing uh i blacked out when my acl ruptured uh it would like briefly when did you, like, when, did you like, when, when did you how did uh, yeah how does this happen football practice okay. uh it was an angle tackle drill um I was exhausted. I was slow coming off and I was probably running 
taller than I should have. Yeah. The other guy was also tired. And instead of hitting me squarely, just kind of lo- like tried to pounce, lunge at me and fell yeah. from the top. And so it was a shearing uh, hit that just like uh, took out the ACL on my left knee. Uh, all my body mass went one way and the leg stayed planted and it just sort of sheared <sighs> it apart. Uh, and when that happened, like it was like a curtain of black fell across my face, uh, my eyes, and I couldn't see for a second. And then I'm on the ground and my leg is throbbing like it never had or has since. Could you feel um, pain in that moment or is the adrenaline such that it was masking it? Uh, oh, I felt I felt pain. Okay. It was it, like it was the the moment of it was like blinding pain. Uh, and then there's a few seconds of like not pain as shock sets in and then horrible like building throbbing pain uh, as it goes on and i guess if i if i factor in the pre-rehab before the surgery and then the post-rehab uh after the surgery um i guess it does add up to about six months but like the the it is shocking how quickly uh you can sort of be back into playing condition following an acl uh but i can't imagine immediately having to go through it again um that's not uncommon you know they they say pretty frequently that if you uh especially in in basketball this happens a lot where um so in football yes you are taking angles but it's a like broadly speaking it's a sport that's a little more like north south as opposed to east west um and whereas in basketball you are just constantly doing just like really weird angles with your feet and 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 sort of like cutting to get around uh, players. And it's pretty common that if you tear your ACL uh, on one side that you're going to tear the ACL in the other specifically because of what Flynn mentioned, which is that you're going to just naturally favor the other foot, which is just going to increase your chances of having a, a second injury. Um, and especially if you play in a sport where, uh, with soccer similar where you are, you are just, you are just taking weird angles. Uh, but the fact that it happens so quickly is just, oh, I got, oh, yeah. I, I, when I first heard this and when I was get, going through these, I, I was just like darkly cackling. Cause, uh, I mean, what, what else can you do other than l- like laugh at the absurdity of a, yep. of a situation that, that bleak. And I, I can't blame yeah. Flynn for not playing, not playing. No, and so, well, again. and the thing that really kills it for you is also just the lack of confidence. Like you mm-hmm. just don't want to go through it again. And this is the part where like career players, the thing I can't imagine is that those dudes who like have multiple major injuries and keep coming back because the thing is, it's not the, the fact that the repair can be successful and you can restore the function that way. That's not the part that's, that's wild. It is the psychological recovery that I can't remember, that I can't imagine. Right. That like you, you have to be able to trust that like, this is all going to work. It's not going to happen again. If it happens again, we can fix it. But I just have to play hard and trust that all this is going to hold together. And like, man, after you go through the process of having to have it all rebuilt, that is tough to do. Well, it's not like there are so many injuries that are short term and not that uh, six to nine months, which is like pretty typical for an ACL recovery, especially if like you're in your 20s and you're in the NFL. That's not long in the span of a lifetime but it's to the notion that in an instant like your leg can crumble and you lose an entire season you're not you know it depending on when it happens right if it you know you have like uh you know an odell beckham jr who tears their acl in the super bowl uh essentially taking them out for the vast majority of the upcoming season because of the nature of the timeline of injuries like that uh 
especially if you rely on that. You know, it's one thing if you're a player that, you know, can change their game to try and avoid such injuries or or try and mitigate them. But if your entire reason for being, you know, this happened uh, pretty famously to absolutely one of my favorite Bears players of the last 10 years, Tariq Cohen, who is this really shifty running back who uh, he was famous for running, like getting handed the ball, like running off, like into the lane he was supposed to, turning around, running 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And the whole time you're going, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. And then they would just like run around for 10 seconds and then gain 25 yards. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, yes. And they tore, I don't know, was their ACL? So like a knee injury, but like they, they couldn't get the cutting motion back and then had to have another surgery. And then most uh, crushingly, uh, after they got cut by the bears uh, in the most uh, over the most recent off season, uh, they were doing like a lot of athletes an Instagram live of a workout and like tore their other leg up, like while they were doing an extremely routine exercise drill. Um, And he's basically never going to never going to play again because not because he couldn't get on the field again, but because the entire reason he was talented, the entire reason he was sought was because he could run around like a wildcat and just run at extreme angles. And absent that, suddenly every the 20 plus years of football you've played don't mean anything because you can't do the thing you were doing before. And I just, I can't, that's just brutal. Uh, I, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to have that loss of identity. Uh, let's see. Okay. Um, where are we at? We have, we'll do one or two more here as we wind our way down. We've got, uh, well, this this leads up to a good story I can tell about the Bears. This is from Matt. This is a missed kick. Hey, guys. It's Matt from Iowa City. I grew up in Iowa. Somehow became a Vikings fan, mainly because Randy Moss. I loved him. No one in my family loved sports or really anything. I was a Cubs fan because of the local uh, Des Moines affiliate. But really, it was just me coming up. And the first year I got into sports really was 1998, getting into that Randy Moss. Uh, freshman year and uh, just watching that kick from Gary Anderson the first time I cared about sports I was like oh this guy is perfect Randy's taking us to the Super Bowl like I knew we were we were going all the way and then that kick just sailed right past the upright and yeah crushed me so literally from the start of me becoming a sports fan I have been just trampled so, yeah, that's what it's like being a Vikings fan, even worse than a Bears fan. Love the podcast, and uh, hope you guys keep doing it. Thanks. Uh, I, one, I do not know that I would agree. <laughs> it's at least over my lifetime. Yeah. We'd have to tag in, like, Cap Ailey. Yes. I am not sure that it is worse being a Vikings fan, because I think they've had a lot of good teams they can be proud of over the years. Yeah, they've, they, I mean, they, they uh, look, being in the NFC North, like, you are, you are tortured having we have a brady-esque figure right in your in your division you you yeah. are and have for like 30 years like yes brett Favre, brett Favre also well you know a fuck him but b as a football player functions similarly in which just a towering player that made your life a living hell every sunday and like that has just been the case for 20 plus years and the vikings have a little more success combating that <laughs> fatigue no. and identity than we have but the reason uh 
this 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 story resonated with me because I've I've you know I've probably told this story years ago on the podcast, but I went to the famous double doink game, the Chicago Bears playoff game against the Eagles, Austin Walker's Eagles. Uh, the eventually Nick Nick Foles, Bears quarterback, then Eagles quarterback Nick Foles, uh, in which, uh, all season the Bears had a kicker that was entirely unreliable. Most of the time it did not matter because their offense was just good enough to score points because their defense was an all-time wrecking ball that would score points for them or flip the field position to such a degree that even Mitch Trubisky could get 35 yards and, and put points on the board. But when it came to kicking field goals, this guy, Cody Parkey, could not do it. And what he became known for over the season, most famously for a game against the Detroit Lions, I don't think it was on Thanksgiving, but it was one of the Lions games. I believe he hit the uprights four times in a single game, which statistically should not be possible. If one tried to hit the uprights on a field goal, would not be able to pull that off. And yet Cody Parkey did it multiple times, more than twice in a single game. And so I go to the Chicago Bears uh, playoff game in which I originally was like, well, in my head, I thought uh, uh, myself, well, how much can a playoff game cost? I will set a upper limit on what I'm willing to pay, which is higher than I would normally pay for a thing. People know I don't like to spend money. And then when I went and looked him up on StubHub or whatever, it was like half of what I thought it was. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I'm actually going to do this as a treat for my brother, my wife, and my brother-in-law. Because my brother-in-law was going to have to fly out to come to the game anyway from California. And I was like, so I'm just going to pay for these tickets. They were half of what I thought they were going to be. So we go to the game. Um, and it's not a great game by the Bears, but they put enough together to put themselves in position uh, to kick a, I think it was like a 42-yard field goal, um, which is not automatic in the NFL, but is awfully routine. You are just sort of expected that you are going to be able to do that uh, on a regular basis. But there's, of course, all this trepidation because Cody Parkey has not been able to do the things that are automatic. Um, and what's important about this story is that the seats that I had <clears throat> were behind this field goal post. Um, I was behind these uprights. The ball was being kicked at me, I was in prime position to see this ball uh, kicked at me. The 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 getting the Bears to the next game of the playoffs, in which anything can happen. You get to the next game, you can win that next game. That that uh, that defense had a bad game against the Eagles. I believe Eddie Jackson did not play in that game, and he was playing ex- exceptionally well that season. We we could have gone to the Super Bowl, could have happened. You know, it, flukier things have occurred. The Bengals are zero and two, and they somehow went to the Super Bowl last year, and. Cody Parkey goes up to kick that field goal and sails it through, just crushes it, nails it. But they iced him. And by icing in the NFL is where a kicker is lining up to hit the shot and you call a timeout. Statistically, icing does nothing. It is not actually an advantage. It is one of those coach things that coaches do when they got nothing else to do but coach. And so they feels call like it, you can do something. Feels like you yep. can do something, especially when it's the last six seconds of a game, which is what this was going to be. This was the end of the game. It was the last play for meaningful play for anyone involved. And he crushes it through. And uh, my brother turns to me 
uh, he nailed it. And I was like, but he's been so bad all season. He's like, well, it's not that bad. And so my whole row, including a bunch of strangers, were, were, were just wrote, you know, we're, we're going back and forth and we're singing the bear down victory song. And that ball goes up and it looks so good from our vantage point. And that goes doink. It hits one upright doink. It hits a second upright. It falls down. And the game is over. We have lost. It was that that one. I I that had I had trouble shaking that for a good twenty four hours. Like I was in a I was in a bad spot mentally, mostly because I was there and I have video footage of me like having my I have my camera up to record like the close the people closest in my life to like have a complete meltdown. I'm about to call like the person watching my kid and be like, I don't know when we're coming home because I'm blacking out tonight. And instead, the first thing we did was like get out of Soldier Field, hop in a cab and like just get the fuck home because I didn't even want to drink a beer anymore. (laughs) I remember Austin messaging us. I'm so sorry, you guys. And I'm like, are you? Are you though? Really? You're a Philly fan. Like it was one of those things where are you sorry? Or are you driving to see how we're doing? Are you yeah, he was. My, that like, was that was a message you? on a friend level of like, on a, as a friend, I'm sorry, but also big. How's dick it feel? Nick. How's it feel? Huh? I just say, how you doing? How, how you doing? I'm just just wondering. Just want to see you guys are okay. Are you? I just I'd, I'd love to know what just where you're at. Uh, but no, it was I? It was. Uh, yeah, and that's what that's the other thing. Like. There are some teams where it just feels like the weird thing is it was like at once kind of shocking, but also at the same time. Yes, this has been set up, as you said. He did this throughout the season. Of course, this was going to happen mm-hmm. at, the, it was poetic. at the pivotal moment. Yeah, there's no there was no avoiding it because this is like the Bears have been signaling. This is how they lose close games throughout the season. They can't do anything about it. Um. Before we get out of here, I do want to we, – we had asked someone to write in. This is going to be a slightly long letter, but I think it's a good one to, to kind of go out on about football transfers um, uh, in terms – you know, football, soccer, uh, uh, in terms of like how does this work? Why does it happen? This comes in from – well, this threw me through a loop. Patrick from Bern, Switzerland, but it's Patrick with just the C. There's no K. It's like a weird alter ego of mine that cheers for a different sport and can explain it to me. Love the new podcast. I'll try to explain transfers in football. <laughs> Love this. Parentheses soccer <laughs> to you. Thank you. Each football league in the world is different. So my explanation may only be valid <clears throat> for the European and South American clubs. Football players have contracts with the club they're playing with for which can go from one year to six years or more years. If a club wants a player from another club, they need to buy the player out of their contract. This means they have to pay the other club a certain amount of money to be able to sign the wanted player. A lot of aspects can lead to a higher or lower amount. Obviously, how good a player is has the biggest influence. Their age, position on the field, nationality can also impact the sum. The second biggest influence is contract length. If the player has only one year left in their contract with the club, the price will drop significantly compared to the same player with three years of contract left. Usually there is a bargaining round between the clubs to find a price where both parties are happy. This may not always be the case. For example, in Spain, every employee needs to have uh, a buyout clause in their contract. This includes football players. What? Wait, that's, what that's sorry. Me- what do you mean? What employee? <laughs> what do you? Sorry. Wait. Like. Wait. wait nationally. Like. What is it? 
I'm gonna need some. I'm gonna need some. Okay, I'm gonna need some additional clarity wait, on wait. that. Like, wait. Can I buy my? Can I buy out of my vice? Like a talent? Is if it's a talent contract, are you able to buy yourself out of it? I'm, hey, Spain, I'm going to need some additional clarity on this. Anyway, if a club wants to buy a player from the Spanish league, they can trigger the buyout clause directly and do not need to bargain. Clubs, therefore, put the buyout clause of their most important players unfeasibly high so that it can't be triggered. Uh, players like Vinicius Jr. from Real Madrid have a buyout clause of 1 billion euros. One of those famous transfers in the world of football happened because of said buyout clauses. Uh, Neymar to Paris, St. Germain. The former employer of Neymar, uh, FC Barcelona, put 222 million euros as the buyout clause in the contract. A sum that turned out to be not as unfeasible as they thought when Paris triggered the clause in 2017. The transfer sum has yet to be topped. Buying a player means they can bargain with their potential <clears throat> new club for their new contract. A transfer will only happen if the player agrees the new contract with the new club. If they can't find an agreement, the player will continue to play at the old club. A club therefore needs to convince both the other club and their preferred player for a transfer. It's obvious why a club uh, would want to buy a player, but you may be asking, why would a club sell a player? There are a lot of different reasons for this. A big factor is the economic factor. You have to think of the global football system as a food chain. Since it's a global game, there is no financial parity between clubs. Clubs from smaller countries and cities have less money to work with than clubs from the big leagues like the Premier League in England. Bigger clubs can offer bigger salaries, and also a stronger competition where the player can measure themselves against better players. Nowadays, a lot of smaller clubs' financial strategies to develop young players to sell them for a high price. My favorite club, uh, the BSC Young Boys from Bern, Switzerland, sells their best players regularly to clubs in Germany or Italy. Another reason why a club sells an important player is because the player wants it. It's not good for the team chemistry to have an unhappy player in the squad, so best to let them leave. Last but not least, when do transfers happen? You may or may not have heard about a transfer window. In each country, there are two transfer windows every year, one in the summer after the season is over and one in the winter during the halfway point of a season. That doesn't mean the transfers can only happen during this time. No, transfers can happen throughout the year. <laughs> if a club buys a player in March, they can't use that player immediately. To be able to play in a league or an international club competition, a player needs to be registered by the club. The transfer windows are the only time a player can be registered for a club. In my example, the player would be bought in March, Stay with your old club until the end of the season in the summer, and then start the new season with the new club. I think that's about it for a big overview of transfers. There's obviously much more to write and explain, like, for example, loan transfers, where a player gets loaned for a certain amount of time to another club? I hope you grasp the transfer system a bit better now. Image rights are part of the contract a player has with the club. I think you had mentioned that point earlier. The most known players have so much bargaining power that they can keep all the image rights to themselves. Best regards. Patrick. That's fucking wild. Hold on. You know about loan transfers. Remember Jamie Tart's whole situation in Ted Lasso, <laughs> where they sent him back to his home club because right, right, he thought right. they didn't want him anymore, but they did want him. But now he felt like trust had been breached. But yeah, that was a loan transfer. <sighs> That's just such a bizarre idea. I'm, I'm still, I'm still, you're still hung up on this. this by Spain's <laughs> trans like, I'm sorry, like, like, does that mean so for instance like right now in the united states mm -hmm. there is a massive dis, like just discontinuity in what business owners expect to have to pay for wages uh and what workers are able to command and that's being manifested as like a labor shortage but does that mean that if like i do have enough money i can go to places that have full staff mm -hmm. and be like 
I'm buying out these employees. And then we have to come to terms with the employees, but like I can just do that. And how does that process even start? Do you send like a, a letter? Because frequently that happens as the employee has to initiate that bargain. And that bargain doesn't happen between the two companies. <clears throat> it happens informally where I get an offer letter because I did an interview with a new, you know, prospective new employer. I take that offer letter, bring it back to the current employer and then see if they'll match it or they pass. And then I can decide what to do from there. But I'm the one, I'm the agent, I'm the intermediary. This makes it, this makes it sound like there is a more formal process of like <laughs> the Burger King down the street really likes the workers McDonald's has and says, I, I'd like Fred actually. I think Fred should go be our burger flipper. And like, there's a, you know, almost like a, you know, in a fighting game, like a, a big graphic comes up that says bargain. Yeah, I don't get it. I can't. So we like that must we just must be misunderstanding Spain. I think like that's probably something <laughs> we like this is misunder. This is not applied in most jobs, etc. Uh, but this is this is I think one of the this I think this is one of the reasons that like things like football manager are so interesting is that that. Football is this like global system. Okay, this is athletics like, only, Rob. I have, I have, I just did a quick okay. Google search, which okay. that that part makes this yeah. make more sense. Because <laughs> I, I was, I'm just riveted by the thought of like the Dairy Queen employee like having a transfer uh, fee, uh, but the um, <laughs> but the the fact that you can basically like just drill down into different markets and like try to find like, okay, this is someone playing in a, in a league that like, I think is really going to pop and you just, you can just keep going as opposed to like, well, this is also a world where salary caps don't exist. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that is like the reason you couldn't even institute this in most American sports leagues is because the, the, the salary cap exists. Cause they to, wage suppress. Well, they wage suppress. They make, they make the argument that it, you know, encourages like a flattening of like skill across uh, the team so that like everyone has a chance to be decent. But yeah, so like it may do that, but it also it's a it's an effective wage suppression tool. But like this, the, you know, when they talk about the player empowerment era in the NBA, that is essentially players, you know, throwing a public fit to like get themselves onto another team because there exists no formal function for them to, when they say we demand a, tr like when you see like a ticker on ESPN or on Twitter, it says like Kevin Durant demands a trade. Like there's not a, f he's not like, there's no formal process. There's no like hit the demand a trade button. That's just you waging a PR war with your team in the hopes of ex uh, putting enough pressure that another team then provides enough draft capital players, yada, yada, yada. Whereas here, what's interesting is the notion that, well, actually, if someone's rich enough, they can just say, fuck it. I'm just I'm just buying that player off of you, um, which is interesting. So this also reminds me a uh, question for people who've watched this. Um, I'm on the Hulu now. Mm -hmm. I got the Hulus. OK. And. Uh, it keeps suggesting something to me, which is welcome to Wrexham. Which is the Rob McElhaney, Ryan Reynolds. Okay, I've seen, <laughs> we bought a soccer team. I've seen the tra I've seen the trailer for this, and th those it looked likable enough that I've thought about it sometimes. 
I have too, but also it also might be kind of offensive, right? Where it's right. like, lol, we own a football team, and uh-huh. it's like, yo, these are people's livelihoods. This is uh-huh. their team. Uh-huh. Like, can you imagine how furious you would be if like someone like some these American dipshits just coming bought, in, yeah, yeah, or like some so, so, let's say some like rich prince whose like family has more money than God bought him the Bears to run, mm-hmm. and like he's mostly like. <laughs> This is going to be hilarious, epic, bro. Like, we'd be furious. We'd just be, like, seething. But I am curious, because, like, one, Rob, Rob McEnany does not seem like a piece of shit. He actually seems really thoughtful, yes. like, interesting guy. He does, yes. Uh, but I'm just really curious about, like, is this good? Is it a good concept for a show? Is this working out? Is it is it thoughtful or is it just, like, weirdly exploitative? I have no idea, but I'm so curious. Because I'm looking for something to fill the... um. Oh shit! What's the Netflix one? It's about the uh, Sunderland till I die, which is just about this absolute disastrous of a football team uh, that, like, the documentary kicked off right as they began a terminal decline out of the Premier League into the absolute cellar of uh, English football, and like that's a compelling thing just because it's like, wow, these people is that are the really thing in you it. made us watch one time? Wasn't that a Waypoints? Didn't you make me no. watch a soccer thing? We watched a thing that was a Netflix thing. It was like Losers or something like that. Oh, yeah. But it was yeah. about a tiny okay. little club who's uh, like uh, uh. relegation game. Also yes. somehow involved yes, a dog yes, going yes. berserk and yes. like biting a cop. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. That that like scratched at something in my memory. It was like, we yeah. watched something about a soccer team. Uh, uh, very interesting. Um, people, people should write in with more uh, specificity on... Uh, and also, I think Spain should, you know, I think uh, they should enact a revolution and expand the buyout clause from athletes to all employees. I think you should all be able to get to give it bought out. Well, um, I mean, maybe it should always be like it should just be an open public market where it's like, <laughs> here's what I got at this job. And it's like, all right, I'm pulling up stakes and I'm moving. I am no longer I'm taking my talents out of uh, lighting for Home Depot and I am moving into countertop sales at so and so, and like you see what the what the what the money change was. Uh, <sighs> that would be like that would be cool. Uh, I think the the last possible thing we have to talk about before we get out of here is you know how we feeling about the next game. We have, we're up against the Texans, which acts as, as an interesting dramatic wrinkle. Because the coach of the Texans is Lovey Smith, who was the coach of the last good era of the Chicago Bears. He's apparently, I saw a clip going around this uh, today. I think the New York Times is doing like a big feature on like being a black coach in the NFL and mm-hmm. how much it fucking sucks, basically, and how hard it was to get that rolling. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, Lovey Smith, who was a coach for the Chicago Bears during the mid-2000s, during an era in which just really incredibly dominant, you know, uh, a Bears defense, uh, you know, Brian Urlacher, bleh, but he, he was he was good. I didn't know how bad he was at the time. <laughs> Can't hold that against me. Lance Briggs, Charles Tillman, just like, uh, just, a, uh, just a murderer's row of just unbelievable uh, defensive players. And Lovey was, you know, his... His defense was responsible for like a lot of joyous uh, or and semi-successful uh, Bears teams, even if they never figured out how to. They knew how to catch the ball from an offense, but not necessarily how to throw a ball when they were on offense. Um, 
he gets he gets it's hilarious. He gets fired after I believe a ten and six season because they lost to the Packers. Like would pray for a ten and six season in many years. Uh, goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Has some truly abysmal years there with Jameis Winston. Um, that doesn't work out. Uh, he then is hired by, unfortunately, my uh, my college, uh, the University of Illinois, to uh, to coach for the Fighting Illini, in which that also complete disaster. Um, and then weirdly ends up on the Texans after. The Texans go through, uh, you know, two years of Deshaun Watson first demanding a trade, then getting exposed as, at the very least, an incredible, like, sex pest. And uh, they hire a coach, David Culley, I believe his name, another black coach uh, who uh, does an admirable. clearly a sacrificial lamb. Clearly a sacrificial lamb, like, but the team plays kind of admirably in horrible circumstances, only wins like three games, but is like constantly in it, like plays hard. They fire him at the end of the year and then hire Lovey Smith, who, you know, no disrespect meant to Lovey Smith, but like not exactly a hot coaching candidate, like also sounds like, hey, you're just here to do this for another year before we fire you and then get somebody in here when we figure out whatever quarterback. There's got to be another Shanahan out there somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe Nathaniel Hackett, after he gets fired from the Broncos halfway through uh, the season, can come join them. So anyway, that's like all to sort of like set up the pretext of like the interesting connective tissue between the Bears and the Texans. But I have to admit, despite the the, the pit of despair I was in this last Sunday, um, there's there's cha- there's a there's a decent chance for that pit to go deeper, Rob, because uh, the Packers you expect to get stomp by like I just you know Rodgers despite being in clear decline and the Packers kind of having a talent deficiency on offense uh I know how that script goes like the Texans are essentially as talented or you know lack of talent as the Bears like if Justin Fields is anything he shouldn't necessarily run away with this game and I say he's going to win by three scores but it should be the kind of game where you see oh shit when you play a team that doesn't have that much talent, the, like the line should like get closer to where he's showing his potential uh, because they don't have the players yeah. to prevent it. And that's that's what I'm looking for. Like they should win anyway. But what I'm looking for is like, where are the give me a couple holy shit plays or not even holy shit <clears throat> plays like he's capable of holy shit plays. What I'd like to just see is consistency. I like, just like. Just show up, like move the ball, grind seven minutes off the clock and just show that you're capable um, and have some vision of the field. Yeah, I. um, I still think the Bears win this, Mm -hmm. Uh, like, you know, our predictions for the seed, like. Nothing has happened yet that like. Doesn't if you told us this script was going to play out ahead of time. Like separate from us goofing and having a right. couple of drinks and then record recording and getting psyched. Uh, if you told me in the preseason they're gonna pull off an upset and they're gonna be one of one, 
and you're not really going to know what the team is that well coming out of that. Yeah, like I would, yeah, that sounds <clears throat> that sound that sounds that sounds right. about right. I think what is new is I do feel like abruptly much less confident that Fields is even going to be like yeah. a replacement rate quarterback. Yes, uh, and that's kind of like what is I, games like this are going to be important for that because this is a game where like you should see the offense produce something. Is he a uh, is he a backup or is he going to be? A, you know, is he a backup? Right. Is he a low level starter? And given the, the state of the Bears as a roster and like where they are in a rebuild, you know, if he's on the lower end of that spectrum, you know, it's like we alluded to earlier. Like, I don't know that he's I don't know that he's here next year Um, because what would be the what would be the argument for taking another chance for another year when he's not, you know, no one here drafted him. Um but uh, I hope that doesn't happen. I, I, he seems like such a likable guy. <laughs> like I don't. But I also said that about Mitch. Mitch is also very likable. And no, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's man nothing, can't there's throw a football. <laughs> nothing against these guys, but yeah, it's um, it's 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 one of the most difficult positions in sports. Which uh, is the weird. That is the weird part about the difference between not only is the fact that we're adults and have a better sense of how things work, just because that's the natural way of things, but. The fact that we have so much a better personal understanding of the personalities and characteristics of these players, and that becomes so much more important when your team fucking sucks because you're you're just grasping at straws, looking for anything to give you a sign that things could be different. And like that's what I did with Mitch for years. Was like, damn, he just seems really nice. Like I'm rooting for him. He seems like he's got a good work ethic and shows up, says the right things, tries to do the right things. I'm rooting for you, Mitch. And then, you know, but he's he's bad. He's he's a backup. Like he'll be in the league yeah. for a while, but like he's and he he's, and he may make great money being a Chase, backup. He, could he be a Chase Daniel? You know, could he just be yeah. a good guy in the locker room, good guy on the sideline? Um uh who is that Cardinals quarterback? J, uh Josh Rosen. You know, like that, that you know, the Cardinals famously uh drafted number 1, close to number 1, draft Josh Rosen. He is a, obviously a complete bust in the first year, and then they draft again, and they draft Kyler Murray in back-to-back years, which is just not how the NFL usually usually works. But the cycle of getting rid of quarterbacks you suspect are bad is happening faster and faster, which is why it wouldn't shock me if Fields does not show real sense of momentum that they would just cut bait and move on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, 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 there's nothing about the Texans that suggest, suggests offensive powerhouse. And so this is a thing where you expect your offense to at least like keep that game close to even. Their defense is also not like the, the thing is, the thing I can't get around to is the Texans are not a very good football team. But in terms of profile right now, they're identical to the Bears. They're yeah. identical. Like there's nothing. And I guess that we picked it as a win. I guess I have shaved my expectations a little bit where it's like. Ooh, this feels like it might be a coin flip. Um, yeah, it's like a pick. Because, like, I don't know. Don't bet on it because yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do we want to do picks for the week? Yes, we can do that to, to close out. Oh, so we, the, we, we fucked up. We should actually like we don't know what we picked last week. We didn't write it down. I'll go. OK, what I, was I, our I'm, record? Uh, yeah, I will not. I, I have not done this. I, I will go back and I will. We will create an archive. Yeah. Um, I meant I meant to do this before last week. The games kicked off last week. I was like. I'm sure there's a website we can do pickums with like the community and we can like 
I, I can probably still figure that out. I, I'm going to look in. I'll look into that this week. Um, so that like maybe we can start like a waypoint league where people can, you know, no money involved. It's just like pick, picking the games. Um, so yes, uh, Steelers at Browns, uh, uh helps kick off the week. Uh, <laughs> as we said, Mr. Bisky, he's just bad, dude. Like I was hoping I was rooting for a fresh start for him. Uh, thinking that maybe it was just the bears. It looks a lot like the old bears. It does. Uh, there was, there was a quote going around, uh, today on Twitter that was like, it was Mitch saying something to the effect of, I just need to put the ball in the hands of our playmakers. I was like, yeah, heard that one before Mitch. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not, not but great. also like, do, like does also seem like another thing is like, we're seeing a bit of this with the bears too. It's always a mystery of like, when things are just misfiring also, mm-hmm. it feels like, yeah, but hang on. The the quarterback has some physical ability and doesn't even look like plays are drawn up like to take advantage of that. Right. Um, which seems to be also repeating it. Like I'm following Pittsburgh sports people and it's like a full replay of like, so is it just Mitch or is there something also like rotten with the offensive staff? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, welcome, welcome. You will. I think you it'd be both. Know. I, I think, I think know. even if you were to give Mitch Trubisky to, Andy Reid, right? Like, or, or a Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. I think it is still a limited upside. He doesn't read the field very well. And it's just some quarterbacks give you one or two clunkers of a throw. Yeah. He's going to give you four or five a game. Yeah. Um, he's but, a player that I think you can, you can win with, but he won't win the game for you. Right? Like it's very rare that I think Mitch is going to throw the game away. I mean, that happened a handful of times with the bears, but if more often than not, you just need to surround him with enough and drag him over the finish line. But he won't necessarily throw a pick six and drag you under the bus. Right. Uh, but that, be- that being said, I also don't have a ton of like, I still don't know who the Browns are right now, especially without Watson uh, playing quarterback. I believe more in the overall identity of the Steelers than I do in the Browns. But also, I feel like I, I if I had to bet money, I would, I would, can I get out of that bet? I don't know that I want to bet either of these teams. Um, the Browns yeah. just lost to the Jets, giving up 13 points in like two minutes or something crazy like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm my, going, you know, I'm going with my boy. I have a, I have a growing hall of Bears quarterbacks in my garage. I have a poster of Mitch. I have a poster of Jay Cutler. I need to get one of Jay. Um, you know, I just yeah. want to, I just want to, uh, you know, just roll around in my shame every time that I, I'll pick up my kids and drop them off. And um, my favorite Bears quarterback in my lifetime after Jim McMahon, Kyle Orton, baby. Kyle Orton. Oh, guy just that guy just won. He did. He did just win. Uh, just I win. think who was who's uh, Josh McCown uh, was the also he was fun, he was fun too because he yeah. was a high school coach before the Tressman like plucked him to to come play for for the Bears and he he had that like four or five game yeah. run that was like really exciting and like Tressman, despite being one of the all-time worst coaches the bears bears have ever had then left led mccown to have like another five or six years in the league where he played for a bunch of teams and made you know mark Tressman gave uh, josh mccown like generational wealth because of he he picked him up to to play uh for the for the bears all right so are you are you I Wait. think okay, so I, I watched that Pittsburgh game because it was uh, the uh-huh. Patriots. Uh, I think I'm gonna go Browns. Okay, I'm gonna go with Steelers. Go Mitch. Uh, Saints at Panthers. Uh, uh, Bad Jameis is back. 
uh, at LASIK Jameis, as they were saying for a while, because he famously got LASIK surgery. Um, hey, LASIK has been known to wear off. <laughs> he also has back issue. Um, and it's a classic athlete move in which it's revealed late, like early in the season when there's a struggle that uh, he's got an injury. But then the athlete also says, well, the injury's not bothering me, which is usually code for, like, I, I can barely stand up. Um, but now I also have to play a violent sport where I have to throw the ball <laughs> 30 yards down the field yeah. into a keyhole. Uh, so uh, I don't like, but again, all- people whose paths get memory hauled, James Winston. Hey, oh, my God. Yeah, the Uber. Oh, Jesus Christ. That You know, you want evidence how quickly people forget that? Yeah, go look up the James Winston Uber incident because that's it's not as, you know, Deshaun Watson's got a, an Excel spreadsheet full of offenses. And James is although James had also had stuff in. Yeah, no, college, he had a, right? he had way more serious yeah. The stuff in Florida was, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. again, sounded very serious and it also sounds like part of local cops are protect the program mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah, yeah I, even on a football level i don't really i don't really trust the saints um i don't trust the panthers either i, I trust the panthers even less saints yeah well, they could, they their defense is really good Although, uh, oh, and also another defense got uh, uh, suspended for the fight that broke out um, against the Bucks. So I'm, yeah. Boy, I'm, also, did that seem to follow hot, classic hockey fight rules where, like, there's a big fight and that seemed to just turn the Bucks on. They were like, oh, yeah. all right, it's go time. Because, yeah. again, what does this motherfucker feed off of? Don't poke him. Don't yeah. don't give them like we're getting disrespected. It's yeah, like, Brady, oh, no. Brady's in the middle of probably getting divorced. Like, so you poke him in the eye and suddenly you can. You can throw the ball. All right, I'm with you. I'm. I think I'm going with Saints on that one. Texans at Bears. Uh, I think we're both going with. I, not. I, we voted. I think we have to stick with our. Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's, our, it's, I don't think we're allowed to. I think Bears probably win. the rules should be, even if the Bears go off the rails, like we have to stick with until our original we re- projections until we decide it's time for a check in and a yes. revision of how we yes. think this is going to go. We, we have don't to stick with for a few more weeks. Yeah. Uh. Yep. Yeah. We're 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 sticking with them. Okay, so that's that's Bears, uh, Chiefs at Colts. Well, that's just that's just Chiefs. The <laughs> well, also, I mean, before like in the in the pre-show, I was like, "Hey, what's going on with the Colts?" Because yeah. like, were they were they tipped to be great this year? No. Were they tipped to be good? And they're just, like mm-hmm. trying to figure out some missing pieces. Yeah, Matt Ryan was they, not a bad quarterback last year on the Falcons. He was. Yeah. He's not. He has never achieved the highs that he achieved with uh, Kyle Shanahan or that you know famous twenty-eight and three. I will say I didn't, I didn't play this voicemail. There was a voicemail someone sent in that was like, "Oh yeah, my worst loss." You know, I'm a Falcons twenty eight to three, and he was, and then the voicemail just goes, "Fuck it, I don't want to talk about it." Bye. <laughs> I was like, "That's good." All right, so Chiefs, uh, Bills at Dolphins. I, mean, I think the Bills uh, do run away with this, but I didn't watch that Dolphins uh, Raiders game carefully. I don't have a good read on. That team, my sense of it was reading some of the analysis was like, well, I don't know if Tua is a, a good quarterback, but Tyreek Hill is so fucking fast. Also a guy that's got some issues. Uh, uh, Jalen Waddell is also so fucking fast that there were times in that game where there was no defense to be played. They're just running 
sprints down the field and then Tua's just got to throw the ball. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, if you wanted evidence of a team surrounding a potentially compromised player in terms of athleticism and just giving them easy shots, like go, go look at the Dolphins. Also, Mike McDaniels might be a pretty decent coach. It's early to say, but, but they're going to get massacred. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, Go, if you go watch the first half of the Bills game, even just the highlights, uh, they are if they do anything other than make it to the Super Bowl, it'll be a wild disappointment uh, for them. Uh, Lions at Vikings. I'm going oh. Lions, baby. I'm going Lions. Ooh. Yeah, I'm going Lions. They Ooh. deserve it. They're fun. And, They're feisty. And, and, and I hate you Kirk saw, Cousins. And that, and that Vikings game did not go well. No. Uh, they They really got exposed. I just can't. Um, I just can't. You're never going to get me to bet on Kirk Cousins. Just won't do it. Can't do it. Yeah, you know. Uh, boy, you can do this for Cam wow. Bailey again. You're going to hold just on. Keep- <laughs> uh, here, here's the thing. I just checked the spread. Mm-hmm. Boy, boy, makers really think the Vikings have this. No, they gave him the six point spread, which yeah, to me, like for is- people who don't follow this odds makers like. They don't just give points away like a six point spreads pretty significant, mm-hmm. but it's also early in the season. Spreads get mm-hmm. more accurate as the year goes on. Uh, I'm also going to continue riding the Dan Campbell train. Uh, I love I go to the school of hard knocks. Lions, baby. OK, sorry, cat. Uh, Ravens at Patriots. Uh, the Ravens barely have a defense as evidenced by how they showed up or not showed up for my fantasy team. Uh, this past weekend, uh, but the Patriots are a Patriots fucking mess. barely have an offense. Yeah, Mac Jones looks. I don't even know it's his fault. Like, if you've read anything about the Patriots this season, they Nothing looks good. Just didn't choose an offensive coordinator and then gave it to two Joe Judge and uh, Matt Patricia, who have have not called offensive plays. That's a mess. So I, yeah. Lamar Jackson is just too talented, too fun to watch. Uh, yeah, he will he will find a way to make that work. Uh, Bengals at Jets. Uh, speaking of my fantasy football team, Rob, my theory for my football team was uh, the Bengals have a better offensive line. I don't know if they're going to the Super Bowl, but they're going to be a they're going to be a just a, a fucking force in fantasy. And what I'll tell you is Joe Burrow and T. Y. Higgins, who have been were two of my main picks. Uh, that that is that I've, I am zero and two in fantasy, much like the, the Bengals who are zero and two. <laughs> the Bengals do not look good. Uh, and the good. other thing is this: not only Burrow, Burrow, looks, playing, Burrow doesn't look good either. Burrow's not playing well, nor does he look like a guy who's going to be playing for long. Um, no. And so, but and the Jets somehow n- like <sighs> nipped one from under the hands of uh, the Browns, right? Like, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't. There's no reason to we pick can't the Bengals, can't but you there. can't pick the Jets can't either. So I, I'm, I'm not, picking no, the no, no, I'm no, picking the Bengals. And also, this is the this is the sort of game where it's like, if the Bengals lose this, and they will know this inside their locker room, if the Bengals lose this, that is the like that's a season spiral. We're done. We're done. Yeah. yeah, this this we're a bad team, and we're we're hosed. And that like this was a Super Bowl contender. Although what like, I will say is, if you are a Bengals fan. The best thing that could probably happen to you is having a bottom out season out of nowhere that you can clearly blame on horrible coaching because I think Zach Taylor's a shitty coach and lucked into Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and they just happened to get hot last season mm-hmm. and they showed what's possible if everything's clicking for them. But I've, I've always thought Zach Taylor has been a shitty coach. And so 
when they went to the Super Bowl, it's like, oh, oh no, wow. you're going to be stuck with an awful. You're coach. inviting Cincinnati fans into the dark place of like exulting the defeats. Yes, because they could yeah. be your deliverance. Uh, yes, because I don't know. Sh- Sean Payton might be available next season. Yeah, yeah, he's probably going to go to the Cowboys when Mike McCarthy gets fired. But can you imagine Sean Payton was Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase? Let's go. Oh, the Cowboys. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's a bad situation. Uh, Raiders at Titans. Titans look like a disaster. So that I don't think that's even and the Raiders don't look very good, but uh, no, got, they do not. They've got, uh, you know, uh, they've got enough players. They got enough playmakers <laughs> that they'll pull uh, yeah, out. They- their collapse against the Cardinals was something to behold. Uh, yes. That was a incredible end of that game. Uh, awesome, awesome game uh, mm-hmm. from, from from that standpoint. But yeah, well, Ky- yeah, Kyler Murray uh, also needs to get his coach <clears throat> fired. Um, uh, and yeah. but he he is an incredible player that simultaneously looks like either he's disinterested in the sport that he plays professionally, um, which and I mean, then- he was very close to going into baseball. Wow. Like he was, he hemmed and hawed about which sport he would go into. Yeah, so, uh, I think Mahomes, you know, le- less so. But you, you know, you see a lot of the baseball in Mahomes' game. But uh, yeah, Kyler Murray also deserves a, a better coach. Uh, good thing they gave the GM and the coach an extension in the offseason. Nailed it. Uh, so yeah, that's Raiders. And then uh, they he- turn around to try to put a fucking writer in his contract. <laughs> that like, and you got to study, Kyler. We need to see some real work study, ethic from fuck you. Fuck off. Um, give him, give him a, I mean, even if that's true, right? Like, e- even if he is like not grinding the tape or however you want to put it, like, well, no. the, the offensive, you know, coordinator is not necessarily showing that that is happening on the, on the field either. Uh, Eagles at commanders. I mean, the Eagles well, look fucking Eagles stock high right now. Bye, yeah. bye, bye. Eagles. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to bet against Jalen hurts who I don't know that his deep ball is there yet, but he is a, I, I, I watched most of the, the Eagles game, uh, this past Sunday and he looked fucking awesome. Well, and the first thing like, like, you know, comparing him to like someone like fields, right. Is like, yeah. he does a really good job of he's athletic enough that like defenders freeze. Cause they're not sure if he's about to bolt. And then he throws passes because like in that little beat where they're not sure what's happening, someone opens up and he finds but he's them. the thing is like and this is this is what's going to make field so frustrating if it doesn't pan out is that the knock against hurts is that he can't throw the ball past midfield. He doesn't have a deep ball throw. Um, yeah. you, you know, you give him players like A.J. Brown, who are incredible, you know, they can make up for a deficiency in a quarterback. That's why you get them quality wide receivers. Um, but uh you know, Fields has the deep. That was always his bit. Was like, hey, maybe he holds the ball for too long, but holy shit, when he unleashes it deep, like he can make all the throws. And so it'll be really sad if Fields has that short, you know, sort of running game can stop a linebacker, uh, but can't, you know, can't put together the reads on just fucking hit. Well, Cole Clement, you need to catch that, you piece of shit. <laughs> This is okay. My one caveat with Fields is I think it is hard to play quarterback in this league when you have no <laughs> fucking tight ends. I know, like I know. a a cornerstone of like especially a when young line is a weak. young inexperienced quarterback is just with a, a bad, tight end. bad offensive yeah. line or at least a very unproven offensive line. Yes, you need a tight end to be able to give you some easy like outs if a play goes bad, and also occasionally throw a meaningful block. And I see no evidence of either happening. No, no, it's bad. So pissed. Uh, 
Jaguars at uh, who was the guy they had before? He went to the Dolphins. Pace that was also a second round draft pick. I'm gonna look it up. Uh, Jaguars at Chargers. Uh, I would have said this was an easy pick before. It's probably still the Chargers, but Trevor Lawrence looked really, really good against the Colts. But it might also be. I think Trevor Lawrence is gonna be good. I, I think he is gonna be. He's gonna be fine. I don't know that Doug Peterson was like the most exciting hire possible, but it's at least like competency that'll get him through a couple. You know, well, it's early. like when when you have somebody who blew through your organization like a like a shit tornado. Uh, I understand how like you just need a steady hand to yeah. like rebuild some sort of semblance of like, and this is how a football team runs. Yes, and that game against the Colts, who I think the Colts might be imploding, and also having a season from hell. With Matt Ryan falling off a cliff. Uh, that said, I think it's so the Chargers. Justin Chargers. Herbert is just is just too good. He uh, like a few things broke bad for him against Kansas City, but like I guess I don't know where his rib situation is. Yeah. Right, Cause like he he basically like could barely walk onto the field. But then when he ripped that pass like thirty five yards down the field when he was they were showed him visibly in pain, almost incapable of explaining the play in the huddle and then hike and just whips it like a missile. My God. Yeah. So no, yeah, chargers. I'm, I'm with chargers. Uh, Rams at Cardinals. Rams would look pretty up and down as well. I love Kyler Murray. I just, I, I can't bet. I have no faith in the Cardinals though. No, I'm no. going Rams. Better, so if they better win, coach, better order. Will I be shocked? No. But I can't I can't pick them because they're just too deeply inconsistent. So I'm with you. Falcons at Seahawks. Um, I think the Seahawks Super Bowl happened the first week of the season, and it's all down downhill from here. The Falcons, despite having a bunch of cast off Bears players, uh, they have like they have Kyle Pitts. They have uh, what's that other? The wide receiver they picked up this in this draft. Uh, they have exciting players, and their offense has been interesting enough that I think they, I think they put the Seahawks away. I mean, I'll take the Seahawks for that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Packers at Buccaneers. I think Tom Brady might. I mean, I know he put it together in that second half against the Saints, but I. You see him throw that. Oh, are you call, are you calling him done? Nah, Dunn's Dunn's too far. But you see him throw that iPad? No. Oh man! Uh, so I, I I did see it was a tablet. I'm sorry, a, a surface. I'm sorry, a surface. Oh no! How how could he not be pleased by the surface? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> I bet he even has a newer one than I do. Well, I mean, we know now for a fact he does. Yeah. <laughs> Where is? Oh yeah, here we go. It's gonna paste. Yeah, I'll play this clip, Rob. <laughs> oh, this is uh, this is not loading for me. Oh no, no. Well, on, just guys. imagine Tom Brady throwing a a, a Microsoft Surface <clears throat> against a against a bench on the sidelines of the Bucks <laughs> Saints game. Incredible. Uh, which is all just to say, I I think he's lost a step. Uh. He's 45. That's like not even a, a criticism as much as it's just I the, the Bucks have also their offensive line is devastated. Uh Mike Evans is going to be out for this game. 
I don't think the Packers are particularly good either. Um, I didn't see a ton of evidence in the Bears game. Like the Bears played like shit, and that game should have ended 17-24. That's if I'm a Packers fan, that doesn't instill me with a ton of confidence. And also, there was the 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 uh when the Bears should have scored those seven points, Justin Fields didn't throw a pass. They just ran the ball the entire time. Not good. Oh, Rob, did I lose you? Lost Rob. Hey, baby. Hello. <laughs> I'm still recording. Uh, my okay. internet crapped out, so the video not loading was the was the sign that the internet oh. was uh, was failing. However, uh, I'm still up. So, so you were saying. Uh, yes, well, I'll put a note to Kato. Kato, that'll all seamlessly work. I'm just going to move on to the next one. Uh, 49ers at Broncos. Uh, oh, so we both picked the Packers, though, right? Oh, yes, yes. I, I picked the Packers. Yeah. Uh, okay, 49ers at Broncos. Um, I'm going to go, I mean, pro- like, literally, Tevin Jenkins, like, leg was, was horribly mangled. Uh, and... Like Jimmy Garoppolo is not horrible, horrible, but like that just seems like that team's going to be in chaos right now. I'm I don't know. I, uh, no, I'm going 49ers. I think I think Jimmy G is you don't think he is not going to be motivated to just crush it in this game. Like, I like you, you want you want to perceive slight. It's there are reports over the over the summer that the 49ers were so committed to Trey Lance and uninterested in Jimmy Garoppolo that they had him practicing on a different part of the field away from the team. Okay, that's embarrassing. That's that's mean. Uh that's true. Like, <laughs> they didn't I, they Rob they Rob they didn't give him a playbook. What? Yeah. That's because they good. were so confident they were going to trade him and it but didn't hold happen. on. So hold on. But that also means they've not invested at all in him. So maybe he's not going to be. I don't know. I, I just feel like I feel like there's an upheaval ta- like tall that I'm going to put mm-hmm. against the 49ers, even though I will say like their defense still sh- should should still be OK. And Russell Wilson has not looked good behind the the Broncos. Uh, so I'm, but I'm going to I'm going to give it to the Broncos. OK, uh, last one. Cowboys at Giants. The, the Cowboys have lost as Dak Prescott through at least mid-October. They have, I think, Cooper Rush as their backup quarterback. They pulled off a surprising win against, I don't remember, the team they played last week. Uh, and the Giants are 2-0. Their new coach, uh, Brian Dable, the uh, ex-Bills uh, offensive coordinator. Uh, I don't know if they're good. I don't think the Cowboys are good. And so I don't have any. I, the one thing I'll say is I'm I will root for the. I don't give a shit about the Cowboys. I like that Prescott, but I hate Mike McCarthy, and I think he's an awful coach. And so I'm rooting for a team that should be bad, the Giants, to go three and zero. Is is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I am also on the. I hope the Cowboys have a disaster season to force <laughs> the Joneses to do something that historically they're hesitant to do, which is throw someone overboard. Uh, but 
yeah, this this I guess I guess that's not true of Jimmy Johnson though. I guess mm-hmm. the one time they're very loyal to anyone, uh, to everyone, unless you make them feel underappreciated uh, as as ownership. Uh, but yeah, I am I am fully in the. I hope they get their asses kicked, uh, and that this McCarthy farce can can end quickly. I agree. All right, well, that is going to do it. Uh, last time I said I wasn't sure if we'd be back, but I can say with supreme confidence that uh, we will be back. Uh, I don't think we are going to stick to a weekly cadence, uh, but I, I don't think we're going to be leaving your ears uh, for, for very long uh, either. So stay tuned on that front. We'll, we've got, you know, my turn, Alien coming up, and, you know, there's other things that have to, you know, Rob, just before doing this, recorded a new man hunting. So... Uh, just a you know a a bountiful fruit of riches uh if you uh are listening uh, to waypoint right now and uh in the meantime while we figure out that schedule you can follow waypoint on twitter at waypoint on twitch at twitch.tv slash waypoint on youtube at youtube.com slash waypoint vice and our writing at waypoint.vice.com uh this episode is premiering ad free on waypoint plus which you can subscribe to and gain access to early episodes exclusive episodes ad free episodes and more at waypointplus.com. Um, this will go up on Saturday, like the last episode did. So if you uh, are listening to this, if you aren't a Waypoint Plus subscriber, it'll go up on the regular Waypoint Radio feed uh, on Saturday morning ahead of the slate of Week 3 games. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Patrick Klepik. Rob, how about you? At Rob Zachney. Until then, bear down. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know, I'm not sure many people do remember the T formation. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what's the greatest thing the Bears have done? Uh, Well, they moved the quarterback under center. You ever heard of that?